The following podcast is brought to you by the Coswheel CT20 e-bike. Click on the link in the description and tell them I sent you if you buy one to support the channel. And then also you can support the channel by going to cdkeyoffer.com and using the offer code BROKENSILICON to save 25% on all Windows software. And we'll talk about these sponsors more later. But for now, let's just get on with the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Navi48Tom, and today I am joined by my co-host, uh, Blackwell103Dan. What if it was 203? Oh, oh, I shouldn't have said that at the beginning. Get out of here now. <laughs> oh, crap. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm 100% sure, but it's let's not get into it now obviously i'm working on some leak or something but welcome to a gaming hardware podcast everybody welcome dan how are you doing uh pretty good aside from accidentally swearing really early on into the podcast which you're not supposed to do but what did you say the s word oh i guess i'll write that down (laughs) to bleep that well that tells you how little i actually care that (laughs) my brain didn't clock it i I, but i've done that I've done that one other time we were recording and then you <laughs> glared at me and said, oh, we need to start over. <laughs> I'll just have Gerard bleep it. Okay. You know, which we've done. I think I did it with the, I was at the Colin. It was some recent podcast. I, I had him bleep it as well. I actually don't think YouTube usually cares. I mean, people usually say first five minutes, you're safe. It honestly, to me, kind of seems like it's really like the first 30 seconds or something and, I, I, and, and more so the first 30 seconds they don't want you to go into a tirade just like five seconds they don't want it so that a five-year-old accidentally clicks on a video and it's just a string of insanity that's immediately that's fair. I, I think that's fair i also try to sw- not swear as much as i used to on this podcast anyways because it can come off as crass sometimes <laughs> indeed um but yeah, so wait, let me just get into some opening reader mails here. No News writes in and says, Tom, when you worked at General Motors, what was your opinion of automotive industry leakers? Well, so honestly, I, I wasn't really interested in vehicles, vehicles, don't waste it, cars, had human vehicles <laughs> uh, with four wheels at all when I started working. It's really working and seeing what goes into making a car that got me kind of, and you noticed that, Dan, interested in cars at all. I still wouldn't even call myself a car nut. Just I have interest in them, and I do look at that stuff every now and then. Um, So when I started working at General Motors for the short amount of time I did, like I really, it wasn't on my radar. And even by the end, even when I was interested in cars, by the end of it, my stint there, I didn't pay that much attention. Like I was aware of the effort we put into avoiding them. Like I was, this people will find this funny. If you think like it's crazy what some people go through to get leaks in this industry, uh, it it honestly is very tame. I mean, there's people that would rent out helicopters with cameras with lenses on them as long as sniper rifles and fly around the General Motors test track. And then General Motors had to look into like, can we call the Air Force? Like, this isn't legal that they're flying a helicopter, but how do we how do we stop this? Like, and like, like there is insane amounts of money 
people would put into actually stealing information from General Motors, Ford, and so on and so forth. And for the most part, that's what I found interesting. And anything besides that, it was like, oh, look at that. I guess they're making that. I didn't, it, I didn't really care. And I didn't pay that much attention to it. And if anything, I was like, it's interesting. That's what the competitor's working on. And to my, my honest to God opinion, that is my impression of most people at AMD Intel. And especially, by the way, people I talk to at NVIDIA, they don't really care about leaks because they don't leak. If someone else in their company leaks, it, they don't actually think it usually hurts them that much. And if it does, they see themselves as part of a machine of tens of thousands of people. And so I don't know. They're like, I don't know why he leaked that, but this is an interesting article. It's honestly something I don't think most people at these companies think about unless they're in upper management. And even then, it's rare that I think they care that much. And uh, with the when you were working there, I, I don't don't they like paint their test models with like the it's like boat, a zebra World War camo. II, like boat camouflage. Yeah, <laughs> it's like a zebra pattern that makes it hard for digital cameras to focus. Well, no, it's the oh, OK. I thought it was just That's the what same I was strategy. I was there. Well, I, to my memory, it's also just the same strategy as like what boats in World War Two did. Uh, they have those like zebra print things because it breaks up the shape of it. It breaks up the shape, but some of the bizarre, its not, they, they call it zebra print. It's not zebra. It's like a weird pattern. Mm-hmm. And I was told some cameras have trouble focusing quickly when it's in motion. Oh, yeah, yeah, and there are patterns that do that. I don't know if it's that true anymore. I mean, I've seen so many high-quality leaked zebra print cars <laughs> on the you know car versions of WCCF tech that clearly someone I'm, can get a good enough camera. But I'm surprised still. people haven't started like devising paint patterns that like actually like actually mess with like di- like encode information or something so it messes up uh, digital photos or something that's well, gonna you, happen at some point i bet well you know you'll find this funny i don't remember when but i, I want to say it was in the past month uh me and emma my girlfriend were like i don't remember what we were doing why we were out what we were what it was about but in a parking lot i saw a zebra like the and it's often not paint it's often they have a tape they just wrap around the car too uh on it and it was just in a parking lot and i was like look at that car and she goes what what about it and i'm like yeah she said it looks funny i'm like that's a camouflage like that we would use to hide this from cameras so either someone's just been given the okay to test drive this outside of a facility that's guarded or this is a form of guerrilla marketing by one of these companies (laughs) or or the alternate thing is there's a person that really really values their privacy on the road I, I guess that's true. I have no reason. Why, I'm sure you could just buy that on Amazon. I guess I didn't consider that maybe someone just did that themselves. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Techno writes in and he says, return of the whiteboard for February. And I, I assume he means I used to, especially uh, when I lived in Peoria, have like a whiteboard of things I was working on to mm-hmm. the side. And so people would sometimes try to zoom in and figure out what's <laughs> coming next. And I mean, honestly, it's just down there below this table, and I just haven't finished setting up this studio. Like, I need to set this up. I actually don't know if the whiteboard will be in view of the way this room is set up. I actually suspect it won't be. Yeah, I mean, people haven't seen, obviously haven't seen the studio, and I've been in that room before, obviously. Uh, it's, I, I think it's probably like 50% bigger of a room than you would guess the room actually is like it's, it's a not massive small. there's like a whole testing area over there there's another table that way and what you're seeing looks very organized 
all chaos at the borders yeah, yes. of this if I zoomed out. <laughs> yes, he has perfectly positioned his camera to not see the chaos in the room. Exactly. I, th- that's all to say, I don't really know where you would put the whiteboard unless you just put it on the wall behind you. And I think that's kind of too obvious. Which that was always a happy kind of tongue-in-cheek Easter egg joke that appeared. Like, I didn't think about it. I obviously... I'm not an idiot. I was aware in some videos you could see the whiteboard, but I would just check and go, there's nothing that crazy on there. And then over time, it kind of became funny to have sneak Easter eggs on mm-hmm. there. But they, I never put the whiteboard there going. I I mean, I used it before. Remember, with this the first two years of this channel, 2019, I guess year and a half, well, almost two years of this channel, I still worked at an automotive company while doing the channel. So I was using that whiteboard at first just for work stuff too. like and it just turned into that but i never set out to have this goofy whiteboard to mess with people it just turned into that i thought it was funny i was like well i don't know i nailed it to the wall here i'm not gonna move it i'll just make sure i don't explicitly write something crazy on it and if i were to if you were to be able to see it again it would be because i think that's a good location to have it not because i'm trying to be goofy or something not because you're trying to hint at what you're making next no. Um, all right. Let us now move on to some corrections, which, of course, you can submit if you support us on Patreon. Um, mm-hmm. NVIDIA CEO God King Jensen Wang writes in and says, Tom, in Broken Silicon 243, you mentioned that Starfield didn't bump Game Pass sales, and that was an issue with people not wanting Game Pass. If people were not willing to get Game Pass to play Starfield for free, then they would never be willing to. However, a Bethesda game... One like Starfield that's similar to Elder Scrolls or Fallout is one of those games where I think Game Pass gives you the least value. These kind of games tend to be played for years, if not over a decade. Is that not the worst kind of game to sell as a subscription to when you're definitely going to get your money's worth just owning it anyways? Yeah, I agree. And I actually had some of my... Uh, but Before I even said that, I believe... I don't, well, I guess I don't remember. It would have been around when some of those videos came out where I was talking about that. Some of my contacts, you know, just behind the scenes, like Wargaming saying, hey, this is what I plan to talk about. I don't know if you've heard anything about this. They would go, you know, Starfield isn't the best game for Game Pass anyways, because that's one of those long games you just want to buy on your own. So this is something I've thought about before. And I agree. Having said that, though, well, then what's the other game? I mean, Halo? Halo didn't boost Game Pass much. And Starfield didn't. I at all as far as we can tell and I don't think the point is that we would have expected Starfield to like double game pass subs it's just that it doesn't seem to have literally moved the needle at all which I do think is damning even that type of a game not moving the needle at all is very damning and we've already seen Halo and Starfield not save game pass so my argument simply would just be, well then what game would what's the perfect game the point still stands I mean yeah I guess you could make the argument that the two big games are one is a uh, yeah, Halo, I mean, Halo's kind of like, it's not really, there's live service elements. I don't know if I want to go, you go out and say it's a live service game. And then Starfield is a game that you're supposed to play for many hours. So I guess you could argue both of those games aren't good for it. Well, and, and you maybe, can play Halo multiplayer for free, technically. That's true. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. So, may, but like maybe the ideal game for it that they're going to have and, that could move the needle is like Hellblade 2. I'm but like, or a, a similar type of game because that I'm assuming won't be longer than 12 hours. So that's a good game for a month. Mm-hmm. So maybe if there's a really good marketing push for it, uh, for Hellblade 2, it will drive Game Pass sales. But 
I, I mean, I'm just speculating uh, uh, here because that's the last type of game you can really test to see if it moves the needle for Game Pass. Um, but, you know, just to be clear, though, why I don't think we really need to see more games to know if it's going to move the needle too much here. I think it would have to be one of those things where, like, despite all evidence right now, in four years we look back and go, well, finally it all added up and there's like 40 million plus subscribers to Game Pass just because there's been a dozen games. I think we've seen enough individual games that it won't be one. Like, Lies of P, again, this is what Google's telling me, so don't get mad at me if this is wrong. But I'm seeing like Lies of P is on there, of course Forza's on there. Uh, I'm seeing a few other large AAA games that are on there. So they don't need to be exclusive. There's like dozens of games, that some of them AAA, that are, and if not AA, that are on Game Pass already. And Starfield was one of the most hyped up games ever. So I, I would just go, there's enough games on there to say that, the again, the point stands. It doesn't seem like one big release is going to work. It seems like fundamentally they would need dozens and dozens of more games for this to move the needle at all. And I would argue there's enough games on there where I'm not sure how many it would take because it's like there's a small amount. Yeah, and Lies of P is a good example to bring up because mm-hmm. there was a really big... I don't know if the marketing push was that big, but there was a really big spread of word of mouth of that game that it was actually like a good Souls-like game that mm-hmm. wasn't made by From Software. And it's not incredibly long, so that goes against the other cri- cri- uh, criticism he has. So Lies of P is also probably a decent test case. And if Lies of P didn't increase Game Pass sales for a month, yeah, I don't know. In addition well. to like, I think there's a Doom on there and something else and something else and something else. Mm-hmm. It's like, I, I, it just kind of seems like it would have to be something fundamental happens where like in five years, finally people notice there's a thousand games and that's what makes it happen. Or mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like they need 10% more games or like one more big game to make it gain momentum. Yeah. Um, and QH Freddy writes in. And he says, in Broken Silk on 243, Colin Moriarty discusses the value on the consumer side in terms of price per hour of entertainment provided by games and how that should relate to the price. I think this is a flawed model because it doesn't account for the fact that for a given amount of work, games usually generate more entertainment hours while films and such condense the artistic work into a much shorter runtime. You know, right, he's saying, Colin's point was, what, we spend at least $5 to rent a movie on Amazon, if not $10, $20 if it's a new release. We'll spend Mm -hmm. over $20 going (laughs) to a movie theater. And that's what, two hours for $20 sometimes? Whereas a game, you pay $70 or $40 and you get sometimes 20 or 100 hours of playtime. So what are we really complaining about when it comes to game prices? Um, And I I would say there's just two things here. Number one, QH Freddy, yes, I agree But I would suspect Collins skipped over making that clear because the difference is just so drastic that the point Mm -hmm. stands. Or at least at at a minimum, that's my argument I would make, right? I pay $6 to rent a movie, usually I think on Amazon, and usually the movie's under two hours. So like if it was $6 for 1.5 hours, you're getting like, what is it, $4 an hour of entertainment? Okay, well, 70-hour game like Elden Ring, or I think that was it. That one was even 60. I mean, that's 100 hours plus. I think I put over... 200 i can't put 300 hours in elden ring by now actually <laughs> you know like we're talking if it was 100 hours 70 cents per hour i mean yes the movie entertainment was more condensed and i think worth paying more per hour for i do think that but we're talking about a 6x change like so yeah. even if you'd say it's twice three times it's valuable it's still cheaper to play games and I mean, for every game that felt like you wasted some time, uh, how many movies or shows have we watched where we're like, 
I'm never getting that hour back or something <laughs> like, or, and you yeah. paid $20 to go to that movie in a theater. Or my recent fun experience of renting a movie and it just not having subtitles on it for some reason. That was we fun. didn't talk about that on the show yet. Did we? No, <laughs> I mean, bring it up. Cause this is story. hilarious. I think so, bring it up. So I was, I wanted to watch anatomy of a fall and the first scene there was some French dialogue in it, but it's like a kid speaking to his dog. So I was like, okay, maybe it's not important. And then there was a little bit more French a little bit later. And I thought maybe they were just like saying something like it was like basic pleasantries. So once again, maybe it's nothing. And then like 20 minutes into the movie, it cuts to a coroner's office and they're speaking French. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure this is important. And I looked it up and yeah, apparently that's a problem with some of the, uh, distros or something of anatomy of a fall is some people just can't turn on subtitles for some reason when they rent it including in theaters in the united kingdom you said yes yeah, so, yeah some people in the united shocking. kingdom said that. <laughs> yeah how does that happen I, I i don't know i i genuinely don't know i don't know if the distributor just screwed something up or what because I, but that's, why is that's, it sometimes i and again we're not going to dig into this maybe it's just one theater got a bad distro but it would be hilarious to me if just like there's like some server clearly but also for the movie theater somehow where i thought they transported those and i'm sure someone's gonna write and tell me i'm an idiot but like on like these like protect copyright protected individual like ssd things that they use now in theaters i i thought i I, again do not kill me if i if they're just literally logging into some version of amazon and that's how movie theaters work i don't think that's how they work but like I don't understand how both of them could have the same issue because that would mean they sent the theater the wrong version and sometimes on Amazon they pull from the wrong server and there's no way to fix it. Once you've rented it, you're screwed. That doesn't make any sense to me. That also doesn't make any sense to me whether it be like, why wouldn't they just have one version? But I think sometimes they just render multiple versions of a movie, I guess. Probably, right? When you change subtitles, they might literally be pulling from a different server. I, 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 yeah, I have no clue how that works, to be honest, uh, on the back end, so... I, I, I can't even begin to know what's causing that or if it's limited to this movie, I guess. And maybe this was just the first time I got unlucky, but I, I looked it up and I found multiple like Reddit posts of people saying that they couldn't turn on subtitles in the movie. And the funniest one is they still have closed captioning subtitles. But when you turned <laughs> on the closed caption the subtitles, when it says they're speaking, when they're speaking French, instead of translating it like most closed caption subtitles do, it just says in parentheses "speaking French." Right? Did it when they were speaking English show English? It doesn't really matter because even if you were a deaf French person, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, I know. Or not deaf. Some people just want to watch a movie with subtitles on. I know. It, it, it was crazy to me, but it. We're I, di- I, that's we're a digressing. hilarious. But what's also really funny is how many people I saw online say they, they did the same thing you did. They like watch for 10, 20 minutes before they were like, okay, this has to be a mistake. <laughs> All right. We're well, talking about movies too much. Allegedly, this is a gaming hardware podcast, so we should eventually get to some of the main stories. Um, and that first one is story number one. RTX 4080 Super Final Thoughts. Here's the write-up. A couple weeks ago, like we did throughout all of January, it seems, this channel released our initial review of the 4080 Super early following a quick glance at benchmarks TechTuber peers of us sent to us ahead of time. And also there was a day one analysis as well. And generally speaking, we basically found that the fact that it loses to the 7900XTX and raster to be something that everyone needs to realize when they consider this card as a 
valuable improvement over the 4080. There's still the cheaper XTX, higher raster performance, and with 50% more RAM. And we also suspected that it would sell well immediately because of how many people were giving up on getting a 4090 for a reasonable price. It would just get this instead. But then we also expected the sales to slow down and that it would be shocking if it didn't sell out within the first couple of weeks on sale. Now, the early analysis of sales seemingly confirmed this, as we can see that the 4080 Super finally did sell out right about now, it seems, everybody. But indeed, what I reported in my initial analysis was morning sales of the 4080 Super were incredibly good, and they just fell off a cliff, and it was easy to buy one for days. I, I don't know actually when it sold out, but it did recently. But it needs to be emphasized. That's not that impressive, considering that I was told the supply for the 4080 Super was slightly better than like Ampere paper launch levels. So yeah, here we are in the middle of February for our final thoughts on the 4080 Super. And during this time, the 7900 XTX seems to be maintaining its price between 900 and 950. The 7900 XT seems to be staying below $750 most of the time and picking up in sales. And the 4080 Super is finally sold out. And AMD just reported fantastic Radeon sales again in their latest earnings. So clearly, if NVIDIA sales are improving, AMDs aren't bad. Dan, do we have anything le else left to say about the 4080 Super? I mean, it, it, once again, if, if at the same price, the I think the 4080 Super now becomes better than the, the, 40, uh, than the 7900 XTX. But, and the 4080 Super is a much needed correction, but all it is is a, a hidden correction, right? And so. If they can keep the price of the 7900 XTX close to $900, I think it's still close, it edges out as the better option. Although I don't think there's a huge difference in value uh, if, you know, ray tracing is something that you value uh, with the 4080 Super versus the XTX. Yeah, I don't know. From where I'm sitting, I just think the performance is a washout. Like XTX wins by like, I don't know, three five percent in raster 4080 definitely wins like 20 to 30 percent in ray tracing but not all games there's games where the xtx is just as good but not a hair better in ray tracing so it's not like you can always be sure of that they're almost within the same tier of ray tracing but there's extreme examples that make the 4080 mm -hmm. on average better by more than just double digits and then i go well if i think the performance is almost a washout I'd say the 50% RAM bonus for the 7900 XTX, which I do think will matter in the next couple of years in some stuff. Uh, I, I honestly do, people. I think that kind of makes it just in favor of the XTX at the same price. DLSS is the only thing. That's yeah. it. it. Once again, I mean, and therefore, if you make the 7900 XTX 10% cheaper, I, I'd still recommend it over the 4080 Super. Like, honest to God, I would. Yeah, probably. <sighs> I, yeah, it's almost, just, it's, it's almost just a, a question of w whatever market you're in, it, which one is cheaper. Get that one. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think that's fair that to point out that like the 4080 Super is, I think, a bit more energy efficient than the 7900 XTX, although I don't remember how big of a difference. I don't think it's that big of a difference, though. I mean, it's like it is more efficient, but it isn't like, you know, I don't know. I and it know. does also depend on how long you're intending to keep it for, because these are high-end cards. 16 gigabytes of RAM isn't terrible for where we're at right now, and I don't think it will ever be a massive issue if you only keep it for two years. But if you keep it for three-plus years, like I, I could see it becoming starting to become an issue in some games. 
with a card that's, you know, it's supposed to be the second best card on the market. So Yeah, this isn't, again, it's like, this isn't like we're talking about the difference between 20 and 16 gigabytes at $600 or something. We're talking about the difference between, which I'm not saying those are cards that exist. I'm just saying that is where it would be like, well, whatever, you're getting a mid-range card. We're talking about $1,000 products, you know, like Mm -hmm. it's odd to me to like think it's even debatable that you should ever have to worry about RAM for years at that price. These are Titan prices. Like, it should last for a very long time without having to worry about silly things like that, I think. Yeah. Um, CyberCookie writes in, and he says, with the Super release and all the cards coming with 16 gigabytes of RAM, I feel that the 4080 Super has missed a big opportunity to go with 20 gigabytes and really help take market share for its price point. But add 20 gigabytes, I feel like it'd be a lot more tempting to go for. Um, Yeah, I mean, 20, 24, if it had more RAM, I think... If it had more on if it had the same amount of RAM as the 7900 XTX, I would recommend it even for a little more money. I actually, mm-hmm. I mean, I would. I'd go, all right, really ray tracing better, RAM same deal. Like then it becomes obvious, but it doesn't have that. Also, though, Cyber Cookie, they can't do that. It's using AD103. So it's limited to 16 gigabytes unless they clamshelled to 32 or some new RAM density came onto the market. And if new RAM <laughs> density did come onto the market, it would probably push to 24 gigabytes. So, yeah. I, so they the just, only, they cannot do that. The only reality where I, that, I, I don't know if it would be possible is if they, it was from a disabled 8102, maybe they could, but... <laughs> Which they're currently selling for two to $10,000. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. They're not going to put that in a... Uh, they're not going to put that in a $1,000 product unless, you know... They can sell a lot, unless uh, a lot of those are, need to be disabled or something. And cannot be sold for 5000 <laughs> Again, it's like all of those rumors about a 20 gigabyte 4080 Ti. I'm like, I don't need a source. It's not happening. As long as the 4090 is unable to buy below MSRP, they will not do that. <laughs> it does not make any sense. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I was just saying, I think the only hypothetical scenario where that could be the case is if there were a lot of manufacturing issues with it and they had to disable a, a huge amount of them a lot maybe then it would get to the 48 like a i mean it would have to be a catastrophic be like amount 30 yeah I mean. yes <laughs> so uh, it would have to be like if samsung for example could not hit the yields they promised nvidia and then gave them 102 pricing uh, uh, uh they gave them 102 at 103 pricing hmm. The joke I'm making is that's what happened with Ampere. Just yeah. so, so there was an a, a GA103 with Ampere that was 320-bit that was supposed to be the 3080 and be 10% weaker for less money. But that's all water under the bridge now. We got into the situation of NVIDIA making everyone expect to get a cut down 102 die as the 80. And <laughs> they, never, the only way they do that is if they're given it for free from Samsung yeah. or TSMC, basically. Um, right, QH Freddy writes in and he says, what's NVIDIA's plan with the 4090? Are they going to try to keep it at $2,000 now to ca- capitalize on AI-driven demand with the 480 Super providing the competition against the 7900 XDX? Um, from what I hear, I mean, the 4090 can get closer to MSRP by April once they start pushing more of those back into the consumer space again after stuffing the Chinese channels. But... At the end of the day, I think what NVIDIA is hoping is that the 4080 Super at MSRP is selling well enough that even if sales suffer a little bit more than they would, it doesn't matter. They would rather the 4090 
all of the stock for that that can be turned into AI cards, which is making them so much more money. They just do that for the time being. I, I expect the price to come down a little bit in two months, but I still think that the 4080 Super did not sell well enough that NVIDIA is going to abandon the 4090 supply, but it still sold just well enough where I think they're still going to try shoving more 4080 Supers out there and seeing mm. if people buy into them. Even if they drift a little below MSRP, if supply increased a lot, I think NVIDIA would much rather be... Again, remember, 8102, the die used for the 4090, is fifty over 50% bigger than the die used for the 4080, I believe, right? So, I mean, they would rather, they'd rather sell you two 4080 Supers than one 4090 that could be sold for $5,000 as another card in the AI market. And therefore, I think they'd even be okay if the 4080 Super drifted to 950 over selling you a 4090 for MSRP because they would just make more money doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, QH Freddy writes in yet again. He says, how long can AMD go with 7700 XT pricing? Or how low can they go at 7700 XT pricing? How much are they paying for the packaging cost? Well, I'm not going to break apart a bomb right now here and exactly how much it costs. But what I've been told is, and, and, and this comes after a sudden price drop or of for like a flash of a second, apparently the 7,700 XT was like th- almost $350 on new egg and is not anymore to my knowledge. I guess I should check just, I mean, cause if it hit this again, I guess I have to fundamentally actually change what my opinion is on this, but looking here, no, it's 450 or 430 at the lowest right now where I'm looking. So I asked around on this, is this AMD testing the waters of lower prices like they did before? And most of the answers I got was they think a couple AIBs screwed something up or knew it. <laughs> and like they sold like a very small amount of cards actually at that price, but honored them because it was their mistake. So my understanding, and then after that, what I ask, what I'm told is basically anything below $400 for the 7700 XT hurts pretty bad for AMD. And they don't really want to go lower than 430 So any any official price drop to the 7700 XT, I would be surprised if they ever dropped it officially below $400 for the time being. I think they made the amount they're going to make. They've put aside those bad yields. And they're probably just going to shift as much as they can to other products like the 7800 XT and just left that dry up at like 430 over time. I don't think they're going I I would not I'd be shocked if 350 became a real thing. Yeah, I mean, if that's the case then no it's not going to be a real thing. Maybe later down the road we'll see it go to 400, but yeah, and I'm trying to think of the difference in cost. Yeah, I think I think 400 is the lowest they would want to go. Um Donald Kerner goes in D, uh, writes in and says, "Do you think the 7900 GRE being sub 550 euros is a good sign for what is to come with RDNA 4?" Driven seen an article here from Video Cards AI, I saw that one. He says, "This doesn't this show that AMD can sell the 7900 XT for a profit even at sub 600 as this isn't that much more cut down." No. Right. <laughs> the 7900 GRE has less RAM and I, it does have two dummy MCDs in it, despite being 256 bit. But I believe those are MCDs that failed yields, anyways. This is like their, this is like this card is using MCD yields, to my understanding, that are like the 1% of bad yields set aside over two years, like a year manufacturing. And I've heard like the initial launch was like less than 5,000 in China. Like these are like barely any of these were manufactured whatsoever. So, no, I, I, I think you've got to remember less RAM, cheaper bomb, board costs, and the fact that they're making barely any of them. 
No, they can't sell the 7900 XT for any less than that. And I think what this shows you, though, is if they can sell this for 550 euros, then they could sell the 8800 XT for that. So my answer is, yes, this does indicate the 8800 XT could probably cost that much, but not because the 7900 XT can. It's because this is a different card that costs less to make. And the GRE right. is just... <laughs> the, the GRE stuff is just them selling bad yields, I think. All right. Yeah. This piece of content is brought to you by the Coswheel CT20 e-bike. Over the past few weeks, I've been able to test the CT20 fairly extensively, and that's both because I wanted to, but because I kind of had to. Completely by coincidence, my car has been in the repair shop for the past few weeks, and while I can, of course, borrow my girlfriend's car, sometimes I actually can't. She needs to use it for something where I am not going to or at, and I just needed this to go somewhere. And I have to say, the CT20, if you're someone who wants to use this to go to the corner store, or the grocery store, even places miles away, I think this is a decent option for those sorts of people that live in a city or especially like a dense, smaller town. Like, you know, you don't need to go over 28 miles per hour, but you also don't want to get all sweaty or go somewhere, try to get something and not be able to bring it home. This bike has an insane range. It goes up to 87 miles in a single charge. And then if it were to run out of battery, you can still keep pedaling. So this is something that has like real vehicle-like range and you never have to fill up with gas, which is really cool. However, I do have to caution, it is not a motorcycle. And even if I like to pretend it was one, it isn't. And I used to ride motorcycles in Detroit, Michigan when I lived there. So I knew know the difference between a fancy bike and an actual motor vehicle. And that's the distinguishing thing I'd say about this. It is not a budget motorcycle. What it is, is like a God tier bike that has the utility of a motorcycle. If you don't need to go as fast, it can actually carry a lot of stuff like it has a basket built in for groceries it can carry multiple people on the seat it doesn't just have a bicycle seat then this is the thing for you although also this is something that you should only get if you're comfortable working on it with a decent amount of skill yourself it comes mostly assembled then you have to finish the assembly the directions online are there but they're limited and i actually had to go through and tighten and check some screws and stuff to just make sure everything was perfectly ready to go it's not something i think anyone who's owned a motorcycle before would really care about nor somebody who works on their own bicycles but it is something you'll probably have to do and yeah i guess anyways though that gets me to my final conclusion this bike the ct20 it is for somebody who knows how to work on a bike or something and but then also wants a fancy bike with God tier electric range. The sort of range that from what I can tell online would usually cost thousands of dollars more or it would come in a bike that is much smaller, lighter, and doesn't have the utility to carry multiple people and groceries home on it like it's a motorcycle. It's not a motorcycle, but it does have the utility of a motorcycle for the people that want that in an e-bike that doesn't cost like $4,000. So yeah, I do recommend it for people like that. And if you are interested in this product, please go to the link in the description and purchase it. You will be directly supporting me if you do. Support this channel by checking out the Coswheel CT20 today. Moving on to our second story for this episode. With probably the biggest one, well, actually, we'll, we'll discuss at the end if this is the biggest one. Actually, I don't know if I would say this is the biggest one, but it, it's a big one. Story number two, Moore's Law is Dead leaks Navi 48 in Navi 44 details, Blackwell whispers, and even GDDR7 insider info. 
Late Friday night, yours truly finally got around to codifying what gamers should expect from RDNA 4 products later this year. In summary, indeed, there are two dies, Navi 48 and Navi 44, and they are both monolithic from TSMC's N4P node. They also seem likely to boost above 3 gigahertz with good samples and may even hit 3.3 gigahertz, although I'm not confirming I think they will, but 3.5 gigahertz from what I'm told seems out of the question at this point. They have FPA, matrix hardware, and likely sparsity support for AI as well, and AMD is going around directly multiple sources. AMD is going around to notebook OEMs right now, bragging about the AI performance for future AI PCs of RDNA 4. Now, Navi 48, to be specific, this die has a 256-bit bus, 16 gigabytes of VRAM, and utilizes in 300 to 350 millimeter square die or close to that to performance at least around a 7900 XT or better. But most sources do expect it to be unlikely to beat the 7900 XTX for a main raster. Could it trade blows, do better in newer games, and be better than it in ray tracing? Sure, but most people are seeing this as having performance like in between the 7900 XT and XTX from what I'm hearing. Meanwhile, Navi 44 utilizes a small, less than 210 millimeter squared four nanometer die that has a 128-bit bus and is likely to perform well above a 7600 XT, but also probably well below a 7800 XT. For now, put a gun to my head, I would say, I don't know, I think it's going to be close to a 6750 XT or 7700 XT. Like, And I think if it, for the 128-bit bus, managed to hit 7700 XT performance, that'd actually be a wild accomplishment, too. <laughs> um, and in general, though, RDNA 4 seems plausible to launch in quarter three of this year, according to some of my sources, but... Generally, it seems like quarter four is what people should more likely expect for now due to excellent RDNA 3 sales and the fact that the 5090, not the 5070, which is supposed to compete with this, they think, by the way, is expected to launch from NVIDIA this year only in late quarter four, meaning that whatever is out now, if AMD beat it decently in performance or uh, price performance in where it is, they don't really have to worry about anything else. So there's you know, if there's just a 5090 at the end of this year for like $2,000 or whatever, AMD really doesn't have a reason to launch this sooner rather than later. They still expect to beat Blackwell yeah. to market or at least launch next to it. And again, RDNA 3 selling well. And uh, oh yeah, and it sounds like these products are going to use GDDR6 uh, and that everything else probably will too that uses GDDR besides Blackwell until at least late next year. As I've been told from speaking to people like Micron, Hynix, and Samsung, that Basically, GDDR7 is only being bought up for future, say, you know, like buying up future sales of GDDR7, like reserving them is the word. Only NVIDIA is doing that right now. So any AMD product or anyone else who would use GDDR7, this wouldn't be something they're planning to do right now. At a minimum, I'd expect the initial RDNA 4 cards to be using GDDR6. And for that matter, 20 gigabit per second GDDR6, because a lot of people were pretty angrily telling me that Samsung's high-performance GDR6 speeds, like, well, I don't know what, I think they said, like, up to 27 gigabit per second or something ridiculous. They said, fake, basically. <laughs> like, not in any yields anything could reasonably use in high volume, and certainly not for good price performance. Um, all right, so what did you think of this, Dan? Uh, I mean, this is around, uh, aligns with, like, the expectations that have been being set for a while now, so it's not like... I, I feel widely, wildly different about it, even though it's interesting to see what the specs will actually look like. I, I don't like that it's going to have only 16 gigs of RAM and be close to the 7900 XTX in performance, though. Uh, and 
hopefully the addition of like matrix hardware will allow them to uh uh kick start or kick into gear uh fsr more so or fluid frames more so than they have in the past a so lot of people think they will like they might be preparing some fsr4 for rdna4 that's plausible because that, that's i think the most needed thing from uh in amd graphics cards is they don't really even need to increase raster right now for uh over what the 7900 xtx has for how maybe even two gens of I honestly wouldn't care if they were improving the other's stuff instead. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I, I've said this before, I don't think anyone really needs what the 5090 is probably going to offer because the 4090 is already such a ridiculously powerful card. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. Um, I was responding to some people in the YouTube comments today, well, like right before getting to work on the scripts. And I, I don't remember who it was. There was someone who basically said, oh, so AMD isn't even iterating next gen. And I said, yeah, they are. They're iterating on efficiency, ray tracing, and price to performance, not on pure raster performance increases. And the reason is, I think that's what everybody's been asking for. Everyone's been begging for better price performance. And I think people have been forgetting that Well, yes, NVIDIA likes to have extra high margins for their graphics cards. To this day, from what I'm told, the 4090 costs probably around $900 to make before any markup whatsoever, if not over $1,000. And that the 4080 probably costs between $700 and $800, like $600 to $800 to manufacture. So this idea that NVIDIA would sell a 4080 for $600, they would not be making a profit people they Mm -hmm. wouldn't be making a profit if they did that and then you would go well why did they make it so expensive because they're in the lead and they want to make it more expensive they want to make it the best at everything and they're willing to charge for it and they think they can get away with it so the only alternative is to have a company try to design it to be cheaper it has to be designed that way to be cheaper because these things are getting really expensive and complex and that's where you see something like gddr6 yeah amd's going with it seems like at least 20 gigabit per second GDDR6 over 256 bit bus because that's the cheapest way to get to a 16 gigabyte card with tons of supply. And if they were to go GDDR7 early, I mean, everyone here, why would they use GDDR7 for something meant to be a cheap product? I mean, it's going to be like when GDDR7 is coming out, they'll be bidding against NVIDIA for the use of GDDR7. Mm-hmm. That really doesn't make any sense. I, I'm sure they wish they could have used faster memory, but. Apparently, there really isn't faster memory than 20 gigabit per second for GDDR6 right now. And uh, yeah, I mean, if AMD, AMD planned to use GDDR7 for the top configurations of RDNA 4, but those are canceled. And this is what's left. And they're just going to make these the best they can. But yeah, it's, it's designed to do that surgically, right? And if this launch is done correctly and marketed correctly, which it's an AMD graphics video, so God knows that won't if that will happen. But if it's done correctly, I think it could be really positively received by the market. The only thing that would concern me is if they sell this for like $600 and people complain because it's not a 7900. It's not a, it's not an increase like this uh, 7900 XTX from the 6900 X. P? Yeah, XT. I'm 6950 forgetting. XT. Yeah, 6950 XT. Yeah, sorry. Uh, it, it, we're not seeing that type of improvement and what people I, I, I'm worried that what people online might want is 
that the 8900 XTX and wow, it's only $600 because that's not going to happen. Well, uh, I get- agree. You know, it's the same reason the 7800 XT is like the best seller this gen. And it's because it hit 499 The number, not 529 not 549 They wanted to see 499 That's, even if you could argue it would have been justified at that price, that is the price people wanted to see. And so I agree. If they went for $600, the only way you can justify that is if it does legitimately manage to like beat the XTX overall on aver- in most averages. Mm-hmm. If it beats the XTX overall at 600 I think that's where people go, okay, I mean, this thing is priced the same as a 4070 Super with more RAM than a 4070 Super. And like, you know, what, what would it be at at that point? Like, we're, we're looking at 30%, 40% higher performance. That's fair. I'm going to buy this. But Anything less than an XTX and raster, I think 499 needs to be where it is. And I think, mm-hmm. again, if it's there, I think a lot of people would like it. You know, you know. Another thing I said to someone in the comments too is like, why would they not focus on top performance and get, putting aside the arguments about trying to focus their capacity for the PlayStation Five Pro and Strix APUs and all this other stuff and AI chips that probably is more important to them right now. I think you've also got to think about like. The people who bought a 4090 might go go for a 5090. But unless you're sure you're going to launch on time with better software and something that can beat it wildly in price performance and performance, like I don't know that that market's really there to upgrade to a budget 5090 right now. Like if you think about it, I don't think anybody said, I'm not buying the 4090. It's not strong enough. Either they have the money for that or they didn't. That market is gone. It's saturated. They have saturated the top tier market. Those people probably won't be desperate for any more performance for years now. AMD missed their chance to take that. They lost to the 4090. So in the meantime, what is everyone saying? I I want this $1,000 performance to be mid-range pricing. And and that's really, if there was ever a gen to do this, it's this one. Yeah, I I I mean, AMD wasn't able to fully capture fully capture the market, I mean, the mind share that they are an equal competitor to NVIDIA because they can't get their feature set s- straight and this fell short for uh, a little bit in raster performance. So I, they need to regroup and be a solid mid, uh, <laughs> mid-grade uh, graphics card producer for one generation and maybe they can come back and double performance again with RDNA 5. And again, with how much people complained about Lovelace pricing, if there was ever a time to like, you know, shake that tree of value where people yeah, are exactly. primed to respond positively, if you do, it'd be this one. But you know what? On this note, Resident Mexican writes in and he says, hypothetically speaking, let's say that when RDNA 4 launches, every card in their lineup is better than NVIDIA's at every price point. Let's just say up and down the stack that AMD is competing in, they're better in price performance, RAM, ray tracing, FSR even ends up looking better than DLSS, the drivers are more stable. Let's say all of those things are just even 10% better, but it's all of them. I know for a fact people in the know would buy them in a heartbeat, but would the average gamer do so? Is the reason why the average gamer buys an NVIDIA card over an AMD card because of their better performance and feature set, or is it because of their mind share? It's, it's a combination of both. And I'm going to just say, in do-it-yourself, my opinion, yes. Do-it-yourself, AMD would dominate do-it-yourself oh, yeah. GPU sales. If their lineup beat, like, uh, like you know, let's say hypothetically, 
8800 XT versus 5070. Let's say it was 10% stronger, including in ray tracing, cost 10% less, had a little more, like four gigabytes more of RAM, was more efficient, and FSR 4 puts DLSS to shame. If those things happen, yeah, I think it would get rave reviews. Everyone in Do It Yourself would buy it. I, I just do without a doubt think that. Now, I'm not going to get into laptop sales, but this is, gets into like relationships and stuff. But in Do It Yourself, where it is literally about choice, I think they would. However, it's not going to do all of those things, I don't think so. No, that's not realistic. And yeah, for the average like hardware buyer, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I think NVIDIA is going to have the mind share with them for a long time, uh, no matter what happens. Like, But I don't think their mind share is like at this place where it's just people will blindly buy it if it was literally like that. No. That, uh, or You can if see it, in polling that AMD is not regarded badly anymore. Yeah, if it was like that, I mean, maybe in like 20, 2018, if that had happened, maybe it would have gone unnoticed for a couple months, but eventually people would still have been like, hey, AMD's better this generation. <laughs> this is what you should get. And a, a lot of people would switch to, to AMD after that. Mm-hmm. Um, I just can't imagine something being unanimously better and cheaper not being the thing that people buy. Yeah. Like, and I think especially now, I mean, it's in AMD's earnings. The Radeon sales are up. So they have to charge less than NVIDIA and they usually have to give more RAM here and there. But I, if they literally did everything better, I, I do think even if they fell short of matching NVIDIA mindshare in some circles this generation, it's still good enough where if they were just completely across the board better, I, I do think. They have enough mindshare by now to sell well and do it yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, Techno writes in, he says, do you think that the lowest end Blackwell card will beat Navi 43, the 8700 XT die? Oh, yeah. So you mean Navi 48? No, no, no. I think that GB204 is, and again, I'll get to my leaks when I get to them, like GB204 for the 5070, it's going to be like 30% faster than 8104 that was used for the 4070 Ti. Mm-hmm. But what does that put it at? I don't know, round of 4080. So no, I think the 5070 die is going to be competing most likely with Navi 48. And at a minimum, Navi 48 will be competitive with the 106 the or the 06 die. So I'm not really concerned about that at all. It's not like AMD is completely making a weak sauce generation to that degree. Um, Steve Box TM writes in and says, Hello, Tom and Dan. I was wondering how impactful you think the ray tracing lift will be in RDNA 4's top die. I have a 3090, and in the vast majority of games, I have no problem getting 4K 120, especially with quality DLSS enabled. Ray tracing looks great, but in games with high implementations of ray tracing, it definitely still brings them to unacceptable frame rates. I can't justify paying 4090 or even really 4080 prices for an upgrade right now, but do you think the 8800 XT of ray tracing capabilities that allow for 4K 120 gaming or at least never below 60. Well, I don't like when you use the word never because which there's always going to be some insane game yeah. that's either unoptimized or looks so good that it crushes your PC. But also, could you please get Micro Center to build a store in Seattle? I tell them to build it in Nashville first, man. I don't know. <laughs> you know, uh, we are starved for silicon and tired of getting shipped shitty uh, DOA open box motherboards from Newegg passed off as brand new. Yeah, well, we'll see if I uh, if I can remember. I will bring it up to them here and there. Like, dude, what's going on with some of these cities? But, you know, maybe I'll get a candid answer. But going to your actual question here, I mean, here's the problem I have is everyone has a different opinion of like what it, 
I think only the 4090 in ray tracing is getting you to 4K 120 here yeah. with DLSS. Like, and again, some games with ray tracing on 4K 200, but there will be games that are not even 4K 100. So I don't like the never or always. Anytime you say never or always, there's so many variables here. I, I can't firmly say one way or the other. What I can say is, relatively speaking, look, RDNA 4 is going to have better ray tracing performance than RDNA 3. It does not sound like this is the one where they try to catch up, though. That sounds like RDNA 5. So if the 8800 XT is hypothetically as good as a, let's just say a 7900 XT, let's make it pessimistic this episode. Let's say it's as good as a 7900 XT in raster. Then in ray tracing, I would expect it to be between an XTX and a 4070 Ti. Somewhere around there, you know. So better per CU, but no, I, I don't think... This is going to like, I, I'm not confident this will be like beat a 4080 in ray tracing, let, let alone even significantly beat the 4070 Ti. I just think it will be much better than before. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, go on. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, listen, I, I want to see them improve on the on where they're at with ray tracing then versus where they've been, but I wouldn't expect it to just become a 4090 uh, next gen. Mm-hmm. I mean, great if it does, but no expectation for that and even the 4090 if you look at a benchmarks the 4090 is still brought to its knees in some games <laughs> with ray tracing on and now mean, that's only you make the settings dumb enough you'll kill any product <laughs> yeah exactly so I, I mean maybe it will be good for ray tracing at 60 usually but that's yeah. not that, that's not we're not even at a place with that with any graphic card yet i think and i'm kind of getting into this conversation here with you like I wonder what you think it should be to really kind of remove people complaining about it. Like, let's say it's five hundred dollars, seventy nine hundred XT performance. So that means they're bringing like a what, like a forty percent price to performance increase over the seventy eight hundred XT at the same price point, gen over gen. If they did that, mm-hmm. that'd be a pretty big deal, I think. Um, what ray tracing do you think it would have to be at to really make people stop saying AMD is worse at ray tracing? Because it's hard because if NVIDIA hasn't dropped prices by them, it's like a weird situation where it's like, well, yeah, but I think the XTX is better than the 4070 Super and ray tracing, or at least close. So, if, I mean, I, I mean, would it have to be just below a 4080 because at the price point they would go, it's really not even worse than NVIDIA. It's actually better at the price point. Like, at what point do they go? It's still... I, that's the minimum, I think, is where it at least dwarfs its NVIDIA counterpart. In ray yeah, tracing, because I mean, I think people would stop saying it <laughs> if it were at the same price point and it were getting the same ray tracing, and you just had that extra raster added as a cherry on top. There would be nothing to complain about, but you would still see people talk about it until it was better, at least than the forty seventy Ti Super or something. Carrie knows who got to write in. And he says, with AMD being relaxed about current market conditions for GPUs, we probably won't see Navi 48 before quarter four unless NVIDIA starts putting more pressure on them. That could be the difference between an aggressively priced Navi 48 coming as soon as it is ready and one coming out in the peak Christmas buying season at a higher price. But with that in mind, do you have any idea how NVIDIA feels about the launch of the Super Series so far? Um, They just don't talk about it much. I mean, I think the general sentiment at NVIDIA is, all right. Maybe we were too cocky once again with how well it would be perceived, but it has improved sales at least a little bit, and it's too early to say if this wasn't enough. Sales have gone up a bit. It's helped, but no, we have not 
fix the issue is the general sentiment I get. But they don't really bring it up, so they don't seem worried. Well, yeah, the problem, with it, I think, potentially, is that it's just too little, too late. And like you've mentioned this on the last podcast, it doesn't change things enough to where I think there's a huge market for people that haven't bought the thing yet would have bought it now. Like, mm-hmm. or, or like the thing it's replacing. And that's the main issue with it, I think. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's better. It can only help. But it's almost like a situation where it's raising NVIDIA sales, but also increasing RDNA 3 sales. Yeah. Like at long term, possibly just because everything's a bit better now. So everyone's shopping more. Um, Bfish36 writes in and he says, with your recent RDNA 4 leak and the knowledge that Strix Point is coming later this year, what are you hearing from OEMs for AMD and laptops? I imagine the lack of a super refresh in laptop means at least NVIDIA was fine with their sales numbers or didn't feel threatened by AMD. Are we going to see Strix paired with GPUs in a decent number of models or will it be like Phoenix with the only difference being the addition of Strix Halo models next year? Which I hope they don't put Strix Halo in only Aces Tough unless Tough gets a lot more up market. Um, I, I, everyone seems pretty excited about Strix and AMD APUs in their laptops in general, like at least more excited than they were in the past. So there's good sentiment there. Having said that, I wouldn't say RDNA 4 is doomed in laptop, but at least no OEMs are talking about it, man. And AMD is pitching to them right now. So will some OEMs use RDNA 4? I think some of them will, you know, but do I think that this is going to be the one that changes everything for AMD? You know, press X to doubt. I yeah, think it's I, all about APUs. That's how AMD gets more laptop market share. Yeah, and, and I mean, even we'll see if this actually happens. I mean, Strix Halo obviously will have to be paired with, not paired with a discrete GPU because there's almost not a point to doing that. But I think, I I, I think even uh, Strix Point is good enough where you don't need to pair it with a GPU. So that I, that's their end. <laughs> Yeah, to really make a dent, I think against NVIDIA, AMD needs would need to pair Hawkpoint eight cores with, you RDNA know, a, with sixteen gigabyte RDNA four. Like, you know, they could. This would be before mobile Blackwell's out. Maybe if a, I, I, all I can confirm by the way is RDNA four mobile will be ready in quarter one of next year. I'm not even sure it will be ready this year. But let's say they did it. Let's say they rushed it out even to laptop. And so they don't have to worry about NVIDIA Blackwell laptops to compete with yet. That The killer feature would be if they could sell a Hawkpoint, like 8945 or whatever it is, HS laptop, C, like CPU with a 16 gigabyte, you know, whatever they call it, 8900M that they can compare to the 4090 laptops favorably. And then they could sell that whole thing for 1500 or less. Like that, I think, like they need to cut but I just don't know if they could do that. So that that is what they would need to do because it's very clear that like having a card that costs $100 less than Nvidia doesn't make the overall laptop cost enough lower where people pay attention it seems. Yeah, right? because you're buying a you're buying a full package with a laptop. Yeah. Um all right. Let us then move on away from the PC side of things to the console side of things with story number 3. Uh, PlayStation 5 Pro confirm. Hot off the heels of this channel, confirming the PS5 Pro ourselves, which as a reminder, was a 4 nanometer, 8-core Zen 2 CPU, 
which in this APU also has up to 60 compute units of an RDNA3-based GPU, but also with higher RDNA4, maybe parts of RDNA5, I don't know, custom GPU architecture. It's mostly RDNA3, right? Just like mm-hmm. Xbox Series X and PlayStation 5 are mostly RDNA2, although you can see interesting compute things in Series X that seems to be from a later gen and something with the geometry engine and getting to that, though. Uh, also, 16 gigabytes of 18 gigabit per second GDDR6. And again, because from a recent leak I put out with RDNA 4, it seems like only 18 gigabit per second is the one Micron, Hynix, and Samsung can all manufacture for the next few years. And if you're Sony, that's what you're yeah, doing. they they they'd love faster RAM, but they want to bid them against each other for the lowest cost. So they they're not choosing faster than that for that reason. Uh, and this should be coming out in holiday of 2024. So again, I leaked that I could confirm these things. And then Colin Moriarty on the last episode of Broken Silicon, you know, someone who has lunch with Neil Druckmann, the creator of The Last of Us regularly. He says he knows multiple people who have been briefed on the PS5 Pro. So I'd say that's it. PS5 Pro is coming this year. Oh boy. We basically know what it's aiming to do. And um, yeah, from the sounds of it too, I'm not hearing any developers complain, so it sounds like it is a very, very easy thing to patch and support for. At least so far, that's what it sounds like at a minimum. Dan, what do you think about this? Oh, I mean, yeah, good. that's good. That was the big thing people were worried about when the P- uh, PS4 Pro came out, so hearing that that's already not an issue is great. And, I mean, it sound, I, I mean, am I wrong? The this doesn't sound like, now that I'm thinking about it, it doesn't sound like it's that much, not a, a, that much smaller of an improvement than the PS4 to PS4 Pro, really. Like, I think, I think this will enable the console to be at either just way higher frame rates at the same settings or be, be able to push some games to 4K. I think it's a tamer upgrade, personally. It, it's um, definitely tamer, but I don't, I don't think it's like, insanely tamer it's it's probably what like 50 to 80 probably like 80 percent stronger at least isn't it so the ps4 pro doubled compute units and doubled ROPs and added added fp16 um its bandwidth increase wasn't as drastic i don't remember what the bandwidth increase was i mean i want i want to say it was like a 30 percent bandwidth increase so actually bandwidth increase is in line with what we're seeing here they also added a dedicated checkerboarding upscaling chip so okay. there was a lot that went into that PS4 Pro. All right, though. Having said all of that, we still don't know for sure. To me, it seems a little tamer, kind of, is how I would put it. But we still don't know if there's <clears throat> something going on with like a bespoke upscaling like FSR 3.5 chip thing in there. I can't confirm anything about that personally, so I'm just staying away from talking about it. But it's not, I was talking to people in the Morzaz at Discord, and again, everyone, speculation warning right here. I'm not saying this is a PS5 <laughs> Pro, but like, I what, one thing I would suggest is we don't really know if there's some special acceleration going on with upscaling that could be even inside of the graphics unit itself. I mean, right now, the to my memory, the PS5 is almost a 37 compute unit device because they took the basis of a compute unit and modified it into like an audio FPGA mm-hmm. or something. So for surround cal- sound calculations and stuff, they even said we could probably use this to calculate all types of things. But we're going to be using it for audio. Who's to say there's not another custom CU to accelerate upscaling or rate, like some matrix hardware thing there. Like, I don't know. It well, sounds it, the, the first thing that it sounds like could possibly come from RDNA four to RDNA three in the PS five. 
Pro is like adding the Matrix thing shit for uh, AI. Mm-hmm. And if they had that, then yeah, they could potentially have a FSR four ish version uh, on the of. Uh, four-ish version of FSR on the PS5 Pro. And some other thing inside of there accelerating it further. I don't know. You yeah. know, it, it, what I think would be, and so what I'm saying is, we still don't know enough about what else could be going on with this console for me to really double down on if it's less or more. To I think it seems a little tamer than the PS4 Pros, but it also seems easier to implement. Like, it seems like Sony is legitimately aiming here to have some games not even need a patch. Like, unlocked games... Where you can play in like minimum 40 VRR or like, you know, God of War Ragnarok, I think runs like 80 frames a second, basically in 1440p. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With this, now it's just locked to 120. If you did an unlocked 4K mode, I, I know some games like The Last of Us, I don't even know if you need a patch. I don't remember what the upper frame rate limit if it's 60, but like there's some games where you could see pretty massive, drastic increases in performance without a patch. And the patch may be as simple as a checkbox and they're done. Like what I think is particularly interesting to think about with the PS5 Pro is already in the PlayStation 5's menus, they have these options where they're like force variable, you know, variable frame rates, force. You can force using FreeSync and you can tell it by default to use higher frame rates. Like what I'm getting at, Dan, is what if there is some bespoke upscaling method here mm-hmm. that is like basically competitive with DLSS in combination with all of these built-in features in the menus. And if you, like, what if Sony can force higher unlocked frame rates, force uh, like in all of this without even being patched because they already have these flags inside the PS5 menu to force it if they want to. And they can just say it's an experimental mode. And if a dev wants to, they can program to the middle, make use of the newer RDNA architecture features that are coming with this, and maybe double performance. But what if they can give you a 50% or more boost literally without the devs touching the game, which I think so I've heard Sony was really annoyed. For example, the Bloodborne still runs at 30 frames per second in 1080p. What if Sony can in the OS force it to run at 4K60 now? Something yeah, like that would that. be co- really cool. <laughs> that is what they're aiming to do. And so then it becomes, is this a tamer? Or uh, Yeah, I mean, on paper, it's a tamer upgrade, but it might be more impactful. Yeah, I, I could see that being the case. And it, yeah, I just it's mostly going to be a, qual- just a quality of life update more so than a uh, full revolution. And the one other thought I have is, I hope this stays at $500 and doesn't go to 600 <laughs> Compressor Earthbox writes him, and he says, Tom talked about various ways Sony could have done a PS5 Pro, and it seems like they went with more cost-effective version that just basically gets some settings, but higher performance, uh, same settings with higher performance, unless specifically trying to take advantage of it. Do you guys think this will slot in at current PlayStation 5 pricing, and current PS5 will go down in price? I actually put a lot of thought on this, and I asked some people about this. I didn't ask anyone at Sony who would make this, like, didn't talk to anyone at Sony about this, but I talked to people who know people there and could give an informed opinion and no one has shot down this idea by me so, so so number one i don't think sony's made the decision yet i think and we'll get into this soon but like there could be a lot of xbox announcements in the next couple months that changes how sony decides to position mm-hmm. the ps5 pro so i think sony's waiting to see how the dust settles a bit more waiting to see how their sales continue over the summer and then they will make a final decision but from what i am seeing here I mean, still just 16 gigabytes of RAM, not even 
20 gigabit per second so they can go for the cheapest ram costs probably lower than when they not lower than last year but ram costs that are lower than when they launched the ps5 is what we're talking about meanwhile i don't see why the motherboard would be that much more expensive power delivery should be about the same if they're you know since they're using four nanometer mm-hmm. um and they're not going for something crazy like 72 or more compute units like they're not disabling 80 to 76 here so this die isn't going to be gigantic like, I'm not seeing anything in this console that really makes the price to make it late this year more than the price to make a PS5 back in 2020. Not drastically more. Maybe a little more, but not drastically more. And so an idea that I'm throwing around in my head is they are selling a disk drive separately right now. Right. I think there's a chance that they're considering launching the PlayStation 5 Pro for $499 with no disk drive. And then if you want to get a disk drive, that bumps it up to like $550 to $600, depending on, you know, if it ever goes down in price or whatever. But so that is my suspicion, is that Sony doesn't know yet. And that I feel like that's the move they want to make is $500 again, no disk drive. And then they'll drop the price of the Slim to $400 if they think they need to. And again, but it doesn't come with a disk drive. So it's not a huge price drop, really. And they're just waiting to make that decision. Yeah, I mean, I guess I could see that being the case. That, that makes sense to me. I mean, I guess adding some level of modularity allows you to mix and match the parts you want more. It's a little bit annoying, but I don't think they're going insane with it like uh, has happened in the past with consoles. So I, I don't think it's a huge deal. No, and I think they would even make the argument like, let's say you bought a PlayStation 5 Slim now, and then you want to buy a PlayStation 5 Pro later, they could say, yeah, you could keep one in the bedroom, one here, you get one disk drive. Yeah, you saved money on both. You can bring it room to room for the, like, the two games that are on disk. That's an argument they could make. Yeah. All Jesse wants this Valentine season is for Maurice to play with her more often. But unfortunately, he just does not give out playtime or kisses for as low of a rate as she does. And I think she's just going to have to deal with that. But do you know what you don't have to deal with? Paying too much for Microsoft software if you go to cdkeyoffer.com. This piece of content is sponsored by cdkeyoffer.com. Whether it's Microsoft operating systems, Office products, or even many of the latest games, cdkeyoffer.com provides PC gamers with a product this community deserves amongst endlessly elevating component costs. Fair pricing on Microsoft keys is one thing that we at least should get, I think. And you know, the Moore's Law's Dead team has been working with cdkeyoffer.com for a very long time. And that's because they're good to me, good to Dan, good to about a dozen family members of friends of mine that have used their services. And they've been really, really good, most importantly, to the Moore's Law is Dead community. So support this channel by using offer code BROKENSILICON to save 25% off Microsoft software, or you can also use DieShrink to save 3% off everything else on the website like games. Using either of those codes really helps the channel a ton, and it helps save you money. So use those codes BROKENSILICON and DieShrink at cdkeyoffer.com today. All right, well, let's keep the PlayStation train going this episode, as that seems to be a ton of the news over the past couple of weeks. (laughs) With uh, story number four, PlayStation handheld in development. All right, 
Let's cover this too right now. From the PlayStation Link, this channel dropped a couple of weeks ago. There was also the bombshell revelation that Sony is working on an AMD-powered PlayStation handheld. While details are scarce, I will say the following. The fact that it uses AMD IP, which is something I confirmed, telegraphs that I think Sony definitely wants to support native PS4 games in the PlayStation handheld at a minimum. And they may even be planning some sort of PlayStation 6S handheld for launch many years from now. That, that is really the two directions I see this going. Either Sony is working to make something that can run, this is the way I would put it, like a nerfed version of the PS5, but same architecture, but it has enough compute units and hardware in there to natively run all PS4 games in base PS4 mode, or any game that gets a PS5 Pro patch. Also, Sony is preparing devs. We want the PS5 Pro patch to come with something that is basically a half PlayStation 5 Pro. So if you put in the effort to tweak settings, check this other box that cuts the resolution down in a third or something. That would be something that comes in a few years. Or I do think there's a decent chance they're working for the PlayStation 6 to have a handheld variant that will run all previous gen games and then run PlayStation 6 games at significantly lower settings, but be able to run them. Um, and all of this is to say, though, this is certainly not launching anytime soon as well. It is in full design, but it's still high-level design. I shouldn't say full design. It's in high-level design at AMD right now, meaning they are putting out the general concepts, pricing, and what they could generally be sure they would do in the next few years. Now, money has exchanged hands, though. So Sony has paid for this work. This isn't them having one phone call. <laughs> like, like a good example of the opposite of this would be the amount of times, I think this channel was the first to leak this, that NVIDIA's had phone calls with Pat Gelsinger, like if I ever wanted to make graphics cards on an Intel fab node, would that be an issue? And he'd said, no, this isn't a phone call. They paid AMD to start working on a handheld. So it's a serious project, but... Also confirmed in that video was that the Xbox Series Elite, that was a thing that was canceled in development after where the handheld is now. So just because it's serious, just because money's exchanged hands, that does not mean it still couldn't be canceled. You know, the Xbox Series Elite was at a minimum. So I don't know. In this writer's opinion, it would make sense if Sony did this, though, uh, because they could use some extra method to get back market share in Japan, where they basically are allergic to consoles that aren't handhelds. This would be a great option for that. And additionally, Sony would be looking around right now and going, well, the Steam Deck is a huge success. Vita 2 didn't make sense. It would have had its own library again. There was no way to make it compatible with the cell processor in the PS3. I, I mean, there were just a dozen reasons why making a second Vita didn't make sense. But right now, after the success of the Steam Deck, and also after the success of the Steam Deck, has been making Steam sales increase, which are all digital sales, which is something I'm sure Sony's also noticing. I like the idea of this happening now and can explain why it wouldn't have happened in the past. And so I think it is likely to happen. But um, yeah, that's basically it, Dan. What did you think of this? It's a pretty big get for the channel, I think. Oh, I, I mean, yeah, the existence of a handheld, uh, Sony trying to get back into handheld is cool. I mean, even with the going back, all the way back to the PSP, which was far, far more successful than the PS Vita, there was always a problem with their handhelds that where they were trying to divide their library into two consoles and because the home console is the bigger thing they it always went to the home console so it was like kind of a big event when like a full triple a game really went to mm. like even the psp because like i remember like metal gear solid peace walker coming to it and well the, the 
it def- the way the game is designed is definitely limited by the fact that it's on a PSP. It was still, in my mind, a full Metal Gear Solid game. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that just didn't happen as often. So having it, them share libraries is ideal. And then you, you choose which form factor you want. Do you want to be a mobile person? Do you want to be a home console person? Or do you want to really shell out and buy both? Uh, it would be great if this were to come out as like a PS6 mobile, if instead it, it would be cool possibly if it was instead a switch like the, uh, design where you dock it and it becomes stronger, but that sounds not possible to me, or that sounds like that's definitely not what they're doing, but I, I wish yeah, it was I mean, like they that could almost. still, I, I would at a minimum, I would recommend that what Sony does is they make sure it has an HDMI out so that sure the yeah. PlayStation six can play your games at whatever 4k ray tracing or something, but the PlayStation five, six handheld, maybe it's just 1080p and they have to turn down more settings or something, but at a minimum, yeah, 1080p, that's still enough to plug it into a TV and it'd be fun. as like a, even just a portable, I mean, who knows, maybe they could take the worst yields of it and make it. Uh, run at that PlayStation TV, PlayStation View thing they did, just like the bad yields that require more voltage. They just sell like a tiny box thing. Like, there's a lot of reasons for them to do this, and it makes it, it honestly makes just a ton of sense in my perspective. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm trying to think of really what else there would be to say about this. Um, yeah, I don't know. The one thing I would say is, I, I I'm starting to wonder, like, not me. You, I've talked with Colin Moriarty. I've heard them talk about it on Sacred Symbols. I'm wondering if we're being a little too pessimistic about what's achievable in a few years if they really set their minds to it. Because something occurs to me. Like, let me see here. Let me see. PS5, 6 nanometer die size. Like, it is... Yeah, it, it, I think the current PlayStation 5 Slim uses a 6 nanometer die that's 260 millimeters squared and if we look up rembrandt die size we get to 208 millimeters squared there's something i'm wondering like what i'm like we i don't know the playstation 6 node yet or at least if i do i forgot it but let's say it was three nanometer or or something like that and if it was two double apply everything i'm talking about but like that I, I, the, I like this is still kind of in portable apu range and we've seen rembrandt mm-hmm. apus hit 15 watts they they're not clocked as fast but there's seriously i mean this a part of me that's starting to wonder like is there a chance sony's just planning to use three or even two nanometer in like 2027 or some 2028 and then they'll just give the best yields to the home console version and they could just try to keep the die which they would want to because the silicon's would be ultra expensive in the future probably Mm -hmm. three nanometer because two nanometer will be too in demand actually with expensive products so Let's say they take a three nanometer APU and they make it at 210, 220 millimeters squared, so, or somewhere between 200 and 220. Best yields go to console. And we've seen Rembrandt hit 15 watts. So why can't they take a three nanometer APU, disable it by a fourth, or, or cut, like, and just say, instead of always disabling some of the compute units, why don't we share yields and just clock it lower like yeah, low enough possible. that it can still natively run playstation 5 and playstation 5 pro games that's all we would need to achieve and i'm, I'm wondering if we're thinking too small that that's impossible I, I mean i could see that being a possibility uh 
and if it could more or less run PS5 games like a PS5, just maybe slightly worse frame rates or slightly lower resolution, that would be awesome. Um, yeah, I, I, I think the way that APUs have progressed over the course of the past several years, th- that doesn't really seem out of the question anymore. Yeah, so I don't know. It's just something I think about, you know, like if they're going to use three nanometer, they're going to want to probably have a die that's smaller than the PS5s. If it's a die smaller than the PS5s, which is currently only 260 millimeters squared, we're already in laptop APU range. If we're already in a laptop APU range, why wouldn't Sony tell AMD to design it so that it could have one version? All it needs to do is have the cut-down variant that captures basically all the yields be a variant that you know can at least, while clocked lower, run at 2.2 gigahertz. Like If you have a 200-watt console that has let's i don't know you know like 108 to 128 compute units enabled for the playstation 6 i'm not i haven't heard that i'm just saying but let's say that's what it is why would not something with a fourth of the die disabled clocked from three gigahertz all the way down to 2.2 gigahertz not be able to possibly get into at least a steam deck form factor that'd be way cheaper than designing two separate dies and i've heard people recently talking to people at xbox we'll get to this in a second talk about how Having two dies for the Series S and Series X makes sense on paper, but in all honesty, like it costs a lot of money to design both of them. You maybe should have just designed one and disabled mm-hmm. it or something. Like, unless you're going, like, I, I that I'm starting to think that's probably what Sony would do. Probably yeah, that. that that would be more efficient. I mean, because they're not an outright hardware uh, silicon company, so putting all that effort into something that you're not you that you're not uh, that you have to outsource is quite a task and custom here's the best part right i mean if it doesn't sell well they don't care they didn't have to design two apus won't be a failure no yeah that's true Eh, yeah maybe that maybe that could be what they're doing and the more and again if this rumor were to have come out two years ago i would go oh a portable ps4 that can sometimes run ps5 games if it was patched for it makes a lot of sense to come out in 2024 but if it's at least two years away, and I think it's at least three, why would you launch a mobile PS4 right before or during a new generation, even mm-hmm. if it has to come out after the initial launch? Launch a handheld for the PlayStation 6 that will last for decades. <laughs> yeah. Like without a redesign. And the more I think about it, the more I'm like, that's kind of actually what I suspect they're considering. Although again, they're working with AMD on design work, so it almost I don't know if this is like, they're asking if it should be its own thing. It's in high level. But if I was Sony, that's the conclusion I'd be more driving for. But again, this is someone who knows not what the specs are. So I don't know if that's bonkers to suggest. They would <laughs> like if there's some tech in the PlayStation 6 that uses too much energy, requires too much space. I don't know. But I just think that's a hypothetical scenario. No one's talking about that. And it's worth thinking about. That might actually make the most sense economically. Um, all right. Now, let us then move on to story. Let me pull up the lights here to shift them to story number five. All right. Behind the scenes, Xbox was reluctant to launch another generation. All right. Here's the write-up. To say there has been consternation about the future of Xbox over the past week would be putting it lightly. We've seen this channel leak that Xbox seemed uncertain about next gen and the last loose ends. Tons of other rumors that I really haven't paid attention to have been saying tons of negative things. I don't know which ones are true. So, you know, but there's there's been a lot of debate and consternation about Xbox recently. And I've even leaked that they've been considering bids from Intel and probably NVIDIA 
to build the next console, meaning they hadn't even signed a contract with AMD yet, whereas Sony's been designing the PlayStation 6 with AMD in concert for over a year now. Uh, and meanwhile, there's even been rumors recently that Xbox may announce some seismic change to the Xbox business model in the coming week, which actually, that reminds me, everybody, this is going to possibly come out during some Phil Spencer press conference where they announce something big about Xbox. So I'm about to put out a leak right now that's new information of what I've heard from people inside Xbox. But take this as a behind-the-scenes peek behind the curtain. Um, mm. I have to remind everybody that in the last Loose Ends that I did, I said, despite Intel bidding for the next Xbox, and I believe other people, including NVIDIA, did as well, by the way, that it sounded like they probably didn't get it. They probably went back to AMD and there's probably going to be another Xbox generation. Big takeaway being just how hard Intel went for it is crazy. And the fact that Microsoft took this long to sign a deal sounds crazy to me as well. I did not confirm there will not be another Xbox or that they won't go back to AMD. And, you know, maybe we'll record some addendum about some insane announcement Phil Spencer makes. But for now, I think whatever I'm about to say, again, it's a peek behind the curtain. I don't think it actually changes whether or not Microsoft announces some Xbox thing or not because, and I think I'll try to put this on screen, I've seen people claim they're about to kill Xbox, and I've seen people claim in Microsoft <laughs> that Phil Spencer just told them they're not going to do it. So this leak is not me saying whether they would or wouldn't. It's just me telling you some crazy stuff I've heard that I think is just interesting to talk about. So if I put these quotes on screen here, Someone from Intel tells me, dude, Microsoft just fucked us. I guess now we know that their letters of intent mean absolutely nothing. I have no idea if AMD got the contract back, but this has left a bad taste in my mouth. And for when I hear, we aren't the only company annoyed by the games they've been playing lately, basically inferring that Microsoft had been really pushing multiple companies to bid against AMD to try to get better pricing on another Xbox, and that they kind of made it look like they were going to go with someone besides AMD. Again, I don't think all final decisions, at least I can't independently confirm all final decisions have been made yet, but at least the games Microsoft has been playing have made people very annoyed, especially at Intel. Now, a second source here, someone at Microsoft says, I honestly have no idea what's going on with management anymore. We are at least a year behind Sony and SOC development by now. And it almost and I've had multiple people confirm this, by the way. And it seems like upper management's seen some metric that's making them doubt our ability to compete for another generation. And a final source here says, I do by now believe we are going to launch another generation of Xbox, but the fact that there was this level of uncertainty is very telling. Oh, and by the way, the earliest we can do a proper next-gen launch would be 2027. Anything before that is either going to be a new kind of Xbox, which I did see rumors pop up, no idea if there's any truth to them. I didn't even read the headline past the headlines that they're considering a handheld Xbox now, too. I don't know if this is piggybacking off of this channel, Sleeks, the hype of Xbox yeah. people. This happens all Never the time. Know. Um, but he says, just to be clear, they're a year behind Sony in designing the next Xbox with AMD, if they even are continuing. And they think any launch before 2027 would be the most rushed, haphazardly thrown together basic specs you've ever seen like in the past few generations. Or it's some new change to Xbox. So I don't know, Dan. This is, again, not easily a big headline of anything I'm saying here, but I, I think it's interesting. What do you think of it? Yeah, I, I mean, to me, it, it makes sense that they would con that they'd consider axing Xbox as a piece of hardware, or because the the platform that they're trying to create is Game Pass, and Xbox the Xbox device is just a vector to sell you Game Pass at this point, and it's the lowest pr cost uh, way to get Game Pass. 
Um, so if it's not selling well, I don't quite see why they are doing so, why they're putting so much work into making them still. That being said, uh, to, I don't, that being said, I don't understand how Microsoft thinks they have the leverage with all the people they partner with to be able to do this because once again, they're not selling that well. Maybe Sony has the leverage to uh, screw over some people by signing. Well, let's be clear. Microsoft's a trillion dollar company. And I think at least with regards to Intel, they want to keep selling. I mean, if Intel and Microsoft's relationship truly soured, that's worse for Intel, I think. Yeah, that's true, I suppose. I I guess they do just have to humor their Microsoft, I mean, the Xbox division because they're such big partners in PC. But I don't know. It's just bizarre that they're uh, conducting themselves that way uh, with Intel and uh, NVIDIA and AMD. And they just happened to have gone with AMD two times in a row. And to be clear here, again, like, or I guess not again, but what I heard is this wasn't like a, uh, it was like a non-binding leather of intent, which when I worked in the automotive industry, I guess that was a thing that happened a couple times. Usually you'd want to sign, we intend to do this, do this. But if there wasn't some legal recourse clause, it's really non-binding. We're saying we intend to, and if we decide not to, sorry, double bird. <laughs> like, they, like, you know, so to be clear, it's not like they went back and they owe Intel money or they're like going to have a lawsuit over it. But they at least said something like, we intend to go with you at this point. So if that happened and then fell through, I don't know. But, you know, I I will say I I was talking to some of my contacts about this behind the scenes and they point to me to the fact and I didn't know this, you know, uh, or should I say I didn't remember this happening. I wasn't aware of it at the time. But I guess the original Xbox dev kits, and I mean OG Xbox, the one that competed with the PS2, apparently that had AMD hardware in it and the dev kits, and then they went on stage and announced an Intel and video partnership while AMD engineers were in the front row. So this is something they've done before, you know, (laughs) and if not done worse than this before. So it isn't the craziest thing to suggest that they were uh, considering this again. Yeah, I know. It's just weird that they're continuing to do this to me, but I I guess, I I, I mean, it's just... I don't see why people would want to work with Microsoft and it's kind of just sounds like they do be and they could do that in the past because it made them a lot of money like with the 360 but that that's just not there these days when it comes to the Xbox hardware itself. Sure they make a lot of money partnering with Xbox on PC and I think that would mean they all these companies probably just wish that they would be making putting all their stuff on PC instead. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I guess I, I don't know that I've really that much else to say about this, except that this is some of the craziest quotes I've ever heard. And I never expected this much interesting console intrigue to be reported <laughs> on in the first half of this year. That's so funny. A year ago, we would have been like, surely we'll be talking about the upcoming Zen 5 launch and Strix. And, you know, but now it's like we're just talking about these incredible. Incredible console leaks that are coming out right now that are far more interesting, I think, to talk about um, versus other stuff that just all seems to be delayed. But again, you know, I'll round out the story by saying this. Notice, I did not just say here that there won't be another Xbox. And all I'm saying is the people at work at the, in the Xbox division are telling me 
if they're confused about what's going on, at least as of the past, uh, like a couple of days ago from when I talked to them and that whatever happens, management made some decision up here and did not tell engineering down here. And so if they announce whatever, if they announced a release date this week, just know that this was going on in the background. And I think it will add more context. And we'll probably have to talk about it again. Who knows? Maybe we'll do some last minute recording before we drop this episode or something. But just remember, only take away from this what I said. Don't add other stuff on top of it, depending on what gets announced. This is one of those awkward times where we have to talk about something interesting before more interesting news might break. And um, what else was I going to say? And then uh, just remember, this this was recorded Sunday. All mm. right. Let us now move on to the final story of this episode, which I threw to you to look at. So one thing I just did not have time to look at this week was the fact that the Apple Vision Pro came out. So Dan, I've heard mixed things as I always do, depending on who you're talking to about it. What is the Apple Vision Pro? What, you know, how's, how are the reviews looking? So to me, it almost feels like it's a beta test for something that will possibly be good down the road. And I just, uh, looked at three perspectives of it, uh, of people that used it. I have the, uh, I, I would recommend anybody watch like the Marquez Brownlee video on it. I think he does a pretty good job highlighting the positives of it. It's clearly using a lot of cool tech. Um, and the, uh, pseudo augmented reality thing they do seems to work pretty well. Like people, and I'm sure you've seen videos online now of people walking around with the, <laughs> walking around with the Vaughn and it seems to actually work well. Um, a, some people have been given access to them for a day and uh, to use them for work. And some people say it's incredibly useful for productivity mm-hmm. tasks because you can have a bunch of displays open. It also sounds like it could be really easy to distract yourself with because somebody, uh, one of the articles I read on it was a person saying that they had a group chat open, a, something playing on Netflix and their work task all on at the same time. <laughs> so it sounds like it might just, if you have a tendency to distract yourself while at work, it might just really drive that. Uh, <laughs> it, well, I have ADHD. Uh, this will probably be a bad choice for me then for now. Um, and most people seem to say that uh, when you spend a long time in it, it gets, it, 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 you get tired really fast while using it though. So I think that's an, something notable. Do you think it's because your eyes are just doing so much more work than they're used to? Yeah, like the person that of the article I linked said, uh, yeah, she was able to work really efficiently on it for four hours. And then she had to take a nap. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then the other thing to note about it is because Apple is ca- really cagey about their designs for everything for some reason, I included a teardown. And... It uses a Zeiss uh, pancake lens, and it's the highest level, uh, I mean, highest resolution I think I've heard of per eye uh, uh, monitor. And I've have, it's, each eye is higher than 4K uh, mm. with 11 million pixels, or I should say 11 million usable pixels, because the actual display itself is like 12 million, and they, mm. the lens loses it. Uh, I did think an interesting thing they pointed out, though, was uh, when you measure the meaningful resolution, because the way the the lens works is 
you get lower and lower pixel density as you go further and further out from the center uh, because it focuses on the center of the screen. You actually have really, really low resolution in the periphery of the virtual environment, and only the center of the environment is actually that high resolution. And there's a problem where the it you can directly interface like your MacBook with the uh, with it, and it will add your MacBook to the virtual environment. And he said that kind of sucks because you're taking a display that's like four or five k. And then lowering mm. the resolution in the simulated environment you're in. So if you're actually trying to use a computer, it's probably just better to take that off and use the computer without the Vision Pro. So all of this to me s- says that there's a vision of the future where this could be cool once certain aspects of it are improved. But the basis of the tech is all very interesting to me because th- I think the most impressive thing is the way they're able to integrate augmented and virtual reality uh, pretty yeah. seamlessly and do it in a way that doesn't give you a headache or look ridiculous but the, then the, on the other end there's the dystopian aspect of that where you're buying you're giving apple thirty five hundred dollars for them to completely control what your reality looks like while you're wearing it what, is, what is it it reminds me of a tim Dillon comedian had a bit where he's like <laughs> what did he say getting the Getting the getting the pod. Hey, shut up. <laughs> shut up, you poor people. You're not getting a new house. No house for you. Put on the goggles and get in the pod. That's what the billionaires well, are saying. Well, it's like, That's um, the thing you're worried about. Like, imagine a reality where people... I don't think this is going to get wide adoption anytime soon, if ever, because I don't think most people want to walk around and stare at people wearing snorkeling goggles. Where everything I'm looking comes. at some pictures of it, too. The eyes do look goofy on that screen. Yes. Oh, the eyes look hilarious. Uh, but like, imagine if they integrated tech that anytime it sees like a billboard, instead of it showing you what's actually on the billboard, it shows you like an ad for some Apple owned product. Like, oh, like every well, you, billboard oh in New God. York suddenly becomes uh, an ad for Killers of the Flower Moon. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I mean, that is definitely what these people want to do. They want they're going to do that in video games. They're already doing that in video games, actually, to a certain degree. But for sure, long term, what they would love to do is go, oh, this person knows these, likes these things. We're going to put that on the billboard instead. Yeah. So that's the dystopian fear I have that this could turn into. Um, But the tech's cool. (laughs) Yeah. I guess the one question I would ask you, like what your opinion is on this. My memory is, I don't remember if it was half a year ago or a full year ago, like it was probably half a year ago-ish, where like it was initially announced and the, actually they confirmed the specs. And my memory was, we were impressed by the specs. We seen, we thought it was incredibly expensive, but with further discussions, especially the uh, one with, sadly, it's Bradley, um, where he like went through all of it and it's like, oh no, this thing really does cost like not as much as they're charging, but thousands of dollars to make this thing is not cheap and we went okay well so it seems like the approach they are taking is everything we think they might want for this to go mainstream it's gonna do it well we're we're not taking the approach of dumbing down things and guessing what people want and then trying to make it five hundred dollars we're gonna make it thirty five hundred and it will be future proofed and then we'll see how people like it and then we'll find ways to reduce the cost to what 
will be purchasable long-term so that there's at least the best, if you will, mass-produced dev kit possible so that we can take the most data to make the best device in 10 years from now or something. Yeah. That's what we expected, and we thought it looked impressive. Does it seem like it is successfully doing that to you, or do you think it still is maybe missing the mark on some things? I mean, I think it's I think it's accomplishing its task, and I thought I, I think reviews, initial reviews for the first version of this they put out, uh, were inevitably going to be lukewarm because it's I it seems like it you, you look at it and it's like this is almost useful but not quite. Mm-hmm. And so only the only people that I think are really going to buy this are people that are super into Apple or people that just buy every expensive new gadget that they can afford. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think if there's really anything else to say about this product here. I mean, it's a beta. We thought it would be a beta product. It does seem to be a beta product. I would say it seems to impress people. Tell me if I'm characterizing this wrong. It seems to impress people more than any haters would have expected, like stuff that sounded science fiction. It can do it. Having said that, it's actually, tell me if this is the wrong way to characterize it. It's not even so much that it isn't doing the things they said it would do and doing them better than anyone expected them to accomplish. It's just that once they've accomplished those things, there are new problems that have popped up that we didn't know would be problems. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. And I don't know. The other thing is I see the tech there. I say a lot of that tech is kind of cool, but I don't know what iteration on it would make me want to buy it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So it it seems like because it will probably need another iteration to solve these problems that weren't problems that they could have solved by spending more money. It's just things we did not know would be problems. It's still probably another beta generation away from being, and then they'll yeah. try to make the perfect ones. Is this stuff? This really is maybe ten years away. Though it's not to say VR, I mean, one could argue VR is already partially mainstream. It's just like to get to the mainstream that some people mean when they say mainstream, we're still generations, not one gen away. Yeah, because for me, uh, just for me as a product, if I'm going to wear something that some AR device, I think I would want the AR device to only take up a portion of my field of vision, like like the Google Glass, except better than what Google Glass was, obviously. Because I don't want my entire perception to be taken over by a heavy pair of VR goggles. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, I think that's all I have left to say about this one, if you do. Uh, I agree. All right. Well, let us now move on. It's a rather short wrap-up. These are, of course, the stories that we believe deserved to mention, but didn't really deserve its own 10 to 20-minute conversation. All right. So you sent me this one. What is this report about even, I mean, we've all heard of this. Uh, I don't think I've had to deal with it yet, but like of low quality USB and even like illegally made misleading USB sticks. So I, I, I'm sure at conferences, you've everybody's been to like a business conference before and they give you a crappy USB thing. as like their little swag bag. Yes. So there's been a problem with those USBs using bad NAND, uh, NAND chips, flash storage for a while. It, they put partially disabled uh, chips into those so they wear out quickly and they don't store as much as they claim to. And now there's st- uh, this firm that analyzes tech um, is starting to find them c- coming up in actually like branded USB 
drives that you would buy at a like a Best Buy. And for some and reason, so they're sneaking the thing that isn't what you're buying into yes. the box. Jeez. So and they annoyingly don't say which brands they found in the report were problematic that they found in the report for some reason. But, you know, I, I would just say watch out. Make sure you're not skimping on flash drives when you buy one if you care about what's being stored on it. <laughs> yeah, I would have to assume because I think, I don't know where one, I have one here that I just use for like quick quick backups when I'm on a go. I have a PNY one terabyte and I also have some Kingston USB drives. I'd assume, you know, that or Samsung from Amazon, there would be some degree of quality control to allow that happen unless of course we've also seen people on amazon take zen or intel cpus delid them and then just put a different heat spreader on. like so there's all types of scams even on amazon i guess but yeah. you'd hope they'd have some level of quality control and we would just hope this it seems to run fine for me this one terabyte pny usb drive i have but yeah i i, I hope it, you're saying it's probably more of the cheaper no name ones but you don't know for sure because they won't say names yeah exactly like i would be surprised if a company as professional as like pny it, it, I, I would be surprised if, if they were finding their way into those but you never know i guess you know i will say it is a standard like this big flash drive right there that's one terabyte it feels so heavy. It is clearly yeah, actually packed with the memory. I guess that's something to watch out for if you buy one terabyte USB. Does it feel as light as your one gigabyte? Mm, maybe it is for a reason. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Uh, also, I saw this pop up, I believe, today before we started recording. Yeah, apparently there's rumors that Microsoft may be working on their own super resolution option that can inject itself into games in a later version of Windows. And it's popping up in beta here. It doesn't do anything, but it's in the menu. Uh, I mean, that's kind of interesting. If, it, if you can make menus and everything look sharper, I'm all for it. <laughs> yeah, but it's for like games, though. Yeah, I know, but I think I read it's... It, it will be for other apps as well, too. Oh, yeah, I don't know. I guess that's interesting. We really can't report anything about it until there's more details. Um, also, I saw that there was a Hawkpoint first look here. And frankly, though, I did not see anything that I could quantify that easily. Uh, at a minimum, like, let me see. Like, there is some benchmarks here, and it does seem to sometimes do a bit better, but... I don't know. This isn't the comprehensive Hawkpoint test I would want to see. I think at a minimum what this tells you is, and they said it was launching in February, over the next week, you're going to start seeing a litany of Hawkpoint reviews starting to come out here. I won't say who I know, at least one tech tuber who has a Hawkpoint product right now and is testing it. So mm -hmm. expect that all to come very soon. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's a pretty tame uplift like we would have expected is what I'm hearing so far. Uh, additionally, yeah, yeah, you sent this to me. Should we talk about this? I guess I forgot to talk about it, um, or to bring it up. There is the RTX 3050 six gigabyte, which I believe has literally launched. I believe because I don't even pay enough attention to really say so, but I think it's like 170. Dan, what do you think of the 3050 six gigabyte? Uh, it's exists i guess and it's not the most expensive card on the internet uh, on the internet that you can get uh so if you're really looking for entry level i guess it's there but also remember it has a lot fewer cuda cores and is clocked a lot slower than the real 3050 so it's not really a 3050 but no no it's it probably a solid 10 to 
25% weaker than a standard yeah, 3050. It might be, yeah, it might be 30% weaker. It's like 300 megahertz lower clock. I think 300 fewer CUDA cores. And if they're using six gigabytes, only six gigabytes, that means... 96 it's, bit. Yeah, it's tw- uh, 25% lower bandwidth too. Yeah. So... Yeah. And you know, it's funny. I was talking to someone at NVIDIA. This person asked me, I'm just curious what you think about this card. And the person assumed I was going to say terrible things. And I said, no, I mean, look, <laughs> if at 170, that, that's the MSRP, right? Am I missing this? It's, uh, I, I thought it was 180, but let me make sure I'm not misremembering. RTX. I just want to make sure. You know, and again, this tells you how. No, it's 170. I'm seeing okay, 170. Okay. There are some that are 180, but I believe it starts at 170. Um, yeah, I mean, look, <laughs> uh, you can make fun of it easily. I am someone that is willing to look at a product for what it competes with. And at the end of the day, technically at 170, this product can compete with like discounted like 1650s and 1630s are barely cheaper so from that perspective it's like yeah it sucks but it's in a sucky realm it's like the 6500 xt (laughs) everyone hated on the 6500 xt four gigabyte but like it was a hundred dollars less than the 1650 and it was way better so you know i i can try to make that argument for that a little bit the problem is is i can still find like it really would have to be below 150 even then to be clear, my advice, guys, save up for a 6600 or 3060 oh, yeah. gigabyte. Like, save up a hundred dollars and get a 3060 with double the RAM. And I get, I guess, wildly I more would, performance. I guess know. what I would say is at the same price, this might be better. I, I think this is better than, than a 500 XT. I think it is, but of course it is. You know, it has six gigs instead of four gigabytes, you know, and that, but here's the problem I have this isn't always true, but every other day, Half of the days when I check, there is a 6500 XT 8 gigabyte in stock for less money. And mm-hmm. remember, the 3050 is stronger than the 6500 XT, but it, you know, it, you know, it wasn't like wildly stronger. We're talking about if you don't run out of RAM, which you usually will be with these cards, uh, we're talking about like, I don't know what you would say, probably 590 performance versus 1070 performance is the difference between a 3050. And that so it's like it's it's like a but this is cut down so this is probably pretty close to a 6500 XT any 6500 XT eight gigabyte and I've seen several for below 160 better choice it has eight gigabytes games are going to be built for eight gigabytes I tested a 6500 XT eight gigabyte it ran a lot faster actually than the base one and it did not choke because of its bus width guys enough ram is enough ram or it isn't it is not choking it's not too weak to use eight gigabytes that's ridiculous so i can't recommend the 3050 unless honestly it's competing with a 6400 it needs to be like 130 because it doesn't have eight gigabytes and again keep in mind this isn't me saying i recommend the 6500 xc8 gigabyte it's just the fact that i can find a better option in the price range means it's still stupid then i mean i don't think you should buy any of these cards and i think the 3050 and i've heard this might happen though i will say that should drift below 150 eventually if it got to like 100 bucks sure that is where it needs to be for it to make sense and it's not me again it's not me saying this isn't an improvement over the 1650 6564 gigabyte of course it is i'm just saying it would have to be that cheap and even then sometimes you can find 5500 xt eight gigabytes for sale oh, yeah those exist for a hundred bucks they can't do the ray tracing and but you know so really a hundred dollars is where it's interesting it's not a matter of me 
hating. It's not a matter of me ignoring the fact that honestly, it might be breaking even around a hundred bucks, but it is me saying it doesn't matter. That is what it would have to be for me to think it's that interesting. Yeah. I'm not being a hater. I'm just, just being honest. And all of these cards that made sense during shortages, basically they don't anymore. Um, And the final thing here, which actually made a decent amount of news, is the Cable Mod Angled Adapter was finally recalled. You know, I didn't cover this on this channel all that much, Dan, but I will tell you what, I had a lot of people telling me in retail, this thing's going to get recalled. I Like, this thing, first thing we do if there is a broken 4090 is ask if they have this Cable Mod Adapter. (laughs) Oh, and and it's really funny. uh, If you browse the uh, NVIDIA subreddit ever, uh, a lot of uh, the posts are about people's 4090s burning because of cable mod ad- adapters. And there were two guys, uh, there's two guys on the forum that uh, work for cable mod that are always there really quickly to, <laughs> to offer you a refund and pay for your 4090. So I guess they handled it somewhat, but I don't know how this didn't get recalled sooner. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's something I've known about for, God, I, I think maybe a year, you know, over half a year. I remember some of my contacts saying, by the way, this thing sucks. It's going to get recalled. <laughs> and it's, I'm kind of shocked it didn't happen sooner. So, um, all right, let us now move on to the final reader mails here. Oh, one of them comes from QH Freddy, who says, why did NVIDIA try to reinvent the GPU power connector when the 8-pin EPS connector specification already exists now this was written here by carbon cry who did was able to help out he got sick this weekend so he wasn't able to help as much as usual but he did write this response he says eps 8 is rated for 225 watts and has four 12 volt pins for comparison pcie 8 pins have three 12 volt pins and 150 watt rated supply usually the standard 8 pin is rated for 150 watts each Meanwhile, 12VH power has tw- six 12-volt pins and is rated for a whopping 600 watts. So why not EPS-8? Because it has too high of a safety factor. Do the math. 12VH power just has a much smaller safety factor and uses smaller wires and pins, meaning that you need to be a... And I'm just in- interjecting here for Carbon Cry. NVIDIA is making the bet with their 12-pin connectors that manufacturing has gotten high quality enough that if you have a lower safety factor, your people know what they're doing. And so it doesn't matter. And they're trying to make it so you need one connector that's as big or even technically a little smaller than a standard eight pin forever. Now that can power any card without any headache. And they want that to become the normal thing, but it does cost a lot more. And you know, the last time I had on not from concentrate, um, that who is that of course, compact PC builder, um, he talked about the fact that, like, I mean, if it's perfectly made, the 1612 pin, it's great. But anyone who does cable modding, this thing sucks to try to meet the standards mm. and the safety factor is small. So this is something I've heard about before. So really, you know, Carbon Cry content finishes this by saying, if you want a better, if you want to keep using 8-pins, we need PCI SIG to relax safety factors, which... We've even seen AMD sell cards that break them and say, we don't care. We're sure it's going to work. Like the 295, uh, the R9 295X2 is the first one that came to mind where that thing used around 500 watts usually. And it just used two 8-pins, meaning each of those 8-pins was at least pulling 250 watts probably. So they can do it. And if we relax the standard or they came up with a new 8-pin standard for 300 watts, yeah, every mid-range card to low end would just come with one 8-pin and all high-end cards would probably be fine with just two 8-pins, and we wouldn't need to use 16-pin. But they haven't relaxed that 
standard, according to Carbon Cry, at least that's his answer, which I think is interesting. Um, but it is weird, isn't it? I mean, like we've literally had cards pulling more power with just two eight pins for a very long time. Oh well, yeah. That, I mean, that's always how those work. Is the standards are, what they're designed to do is always above what they are rated for, mm-hmm. which I'm not opposed to. I would rather things be over engineered than under Milton <laughs> connectors here, so we can see there's an issue. Yeah, I'd rather have uh, something be over engineered than under engineered. So. All right, let us move on to another reader mail. Quick Jumper writes in and says, Hi, Tom. Looking at Q4 AMD earnings, it seems to me that something is wrong. Like data center is growing, GPUs are holding, but overall it's not looking at it's not good looking at NVIDIA's growth, for example. Do you think AMD is right now evaluating its strategy in various segments? We can maybe see it in GPU, where a big part of the reason for not getting into high-end is just limited resources. Maybe they also have scaling issues. What's your take on the company earnings? Also, with context of NVIDIA's big growth and Intel's slow decline. Well, I know a lot of people that are questioning some of NVIDIA's earnings, so I'll just leave it at that. I'm not going to say I'm you know, an analyst betting that sort of a thing. And doubling down on that right now, but there are a lot of people raising questions behind the scenes, just so everybody knows about Nvidia's well, earnings. So let's let's say that. Um, and I have nothing else to say about Intel's earnings except that they are basically projecting they're going to be de facto flat with zero margins in data center, or I'm sorry to some people, what is it, two percent? Basically, zero margins in data center during an AI boom. That is damning. I have nothing. I don't want to kick them while they're down any more than just pointing out something I've pointed out a million times. Um, and AMD just seems solid, but I think, and this will might be something I leak in an upcoming video. I do think there's something here. I wouldn't say AMD's grown too fast, but I've definitely heard a lot about how AMD has realized that number one, they need to stop acting like they're an underdog. And number two, it's, I don't know if it's they bit off more than they could chew. They just didn't chew fast enough. And like mm-hmm. they need to just hire a lot more people. And they are not happy that they missed a couple of issues with RDNA 3 and that Zen 4 was supposed to come out early 2022. Zen 5 is supposed to come out early this year, if not at the tail end of last year. And they realize they've had multiple product launches now, either have issues or come out half a year to a year late. No, these pale in comparison to the issues Intel's dealing with. But they want to beat Intel. They don't want to become Intel. So I think there's a lot going on here where AMD is taking a measured approach and trying to build up sustainably over the next year before they go all out and everything again. Mm. Yeah, and, and I mean, I think there's just something to be said that there is an AI boom going right now, and NVIDIA got to that AI boom first because they're a company that has... M- the resources that can do it and, and they bet on ai they, and they made the right bet you know yeah, and, and that's where their growth largely is it's not because they're it's not because they're outselling amd in every market or it's not because they're out super out competing amd in every market amd is competing in no no i mean it's <laughs> it's possible for nvidia to boom in ai amd to partially boom in ai and take market share in other places and that's it mm-hmm. you know i mean uh, it, it doesn't always need to be everyone's winning everything yeah. all at once. Um, no news writes in and says, on broken silicon 242, you leaked a delay for AMD 800 series motherboards and for Zen 5 CPUs. The talk also hinted at slightly lower than expected performance from Zen 5. Is there an issue with the processor chiplet, the IO die, or getting motherboards to run reliably above 
DDR5-6400, and then getting PCIe5 on all of those SOC lanes. The Promontory 21 seems to be the 600C. So I, I'm going to just skip ahead here and say you're basically asking, um, you know, is something wrong with Zen 5? Um, I would just say is, again, this is going to probably come out in another league, so I don't want to say too much yet, especially not after I talk to a bunch of people and compare and contrast and come to my final conclusion, because sometimes my opinion changes a little or has an asterisk on it that kind of adds more context. But nobody at AMD is worried about Zen 5 being competitive right now. And just because I'm saying that you should not pay attention to rumors that say Zen 5 will definitely have a well above 30% IPC increase, that doesn't mean I think it's bad. Yeah, I, I mean, to me, the picture I have for where Zen 5 is at right now is it's not going to be a bad generation. It might just be a kind of boring one. Unless they decide to increase core counts or something, yeah. you know, Yeah. Um, which they could if they wanted to. They could go to a 24 core. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I and the memory controller thing, I, um, I, I don't, like, without going into detail, I don't think they have issues with uh, higher memory speeds right now or... If they do, it's not like they have trouble getting above 6,400. Like, I don't have any doomsday things to say about Zen 5. There's going to be some specific workloads where Zen 5 is a Zen 4 uplifter higher. But the average, it's just, there's going to be some where it's a little bit lower than what they wanted. But it's going to be another big generation. Mm-hmm. It's just, I don't know that it's bigger than what Zen 4 was anymore. It's just probably comparable to those generations. Again, unless they manage to launch a... 8 core X3D plus 16 Zen 5C core in quarter three. If they pulled off something like that, I think people will see this as big as Zen 2. You know, so. um, All right. Final reader mail. Techno writes in and he says, if you could create a technology company, which industry would it be in? Dan, I'm throwing it to you. Probably biotech because that's my area of expertise. (laughs) And you probably have a bunch of things you're thinking of like, too many to list, yeah. like of types of stuff that people are probably already making startups for. Yeah, I don't know. You know, I will say one thing, and and I didn't put any thought into this question before I started recording. So this is what's popping into my head right now on the fly. But one thing that I think we're going to continue to have a big revolution in is portable travel. Uh, travel, like I think. You know, I don't know if there will be an ad in this episode or the next one, but I've been testing out an e-bike for a sponsor. And it's not insane, but it's definitely something I couldn't have bought for a reasonable price with these capabilities 10 years ago. Yeah, that's true. This stuff we're seeing with batteries right now, like, yeah, look, every time you see something on tech power up or tech spot that's like this battery is a thousand times faster, it's coming out in two years. That's never fucking happened. So we're not getting 1000x battery performance 2 years from now but i think it is becoming more and more and more obvious that every 2 years batteries get 10% better on average mm-hmm. and that's been happening for decades now and if you compare batteries and i've seen some cuz i've looked through some of our old airsoft guns like the old batteries and their capacities and capabilities for the price they had my gosh batteries were so bad 20 years ago and 1.1 times 1.1 times 1.1. It's adding up. And I think we're getting to a point where you could really, with some more modern plastics, metals, and batteries, try to make something this big that goes into your backpack that you unfold and can go like 15, 20 miles an hour. You're seeing that with hoverboards and stuff. But yeah, that's true. I think we're getting to a point where 
I don't like the hoverboards because it just seems like something that's going to turn off and you throw your head into the concrete. Well, like, that's why one of those was uh, recalled. And the, uh, <laughs> the owner of it was trying to get people to buy his product still because he's refusing to do the recall because he says a recall for his unsafe, uh, his unsafe product is a violation of his first amendment rights. Cool dude. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, so, you know, I think actually the revolution would be in some sort of maybe like, and they would work without the battery being charged roller skates, that are light enough. I think we're still years away from that really happening. But imagine if you could just like pop out these wheels and go for 20 minutes at 10, 20, 15 miles an hour. Like imagine if there was a scooter so that you have a hand grip so you won't die if the battery <laughs> runs out like overboard will that honest to God folds up into something this big and fits into half of your backpack. Doesn't take up the whole backpack and just folds out and it's actually sturdy stuff like that. That's that's the type of stuff that I think we're going to see much, much, much more innovation. Just using, realizing batteries are so much better now. What are little things we could have done before that aren't gimmicky that yeah. actually we just, like, that's the type of thing I'd probably be looking at because that's a thing that doesn't require me to be a, you know, Tony Stark genius with a jet engine to make it work, but is something of like realizing, oh, the technology is where we need it to be mm-hmm. to actually do this thing we kind of thought was silly before that that's that's my answer um all right well that i think is going to do it for this episode dan any final words no i i don't think all right well my final words will be remember to like and subscribe uh ring the bell button so you don't miss upcoming content who knows maybe we'll have to do a emergency response and addendum to this from xbox news it just keeps to seem rolling and coming out here and 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 make sure that you are subscribed though for all of the upcoming content as well i've got some pretty big nvidia amb and intel stuff coming soon that of course i've been hinting at you're not going to want to miss it and you know support us on patreon we cannot do this without our patrons we're you know, we, honestly, our stretch goal is to get to about 2,000 patrons because if we get to 2,000, I mean, that's where we can just start hiring people to make sure stuff comes out a little earlier without ads to you so that you never need to watch ads again. And this the stable income that pays me, Dan, Gerard, Carbon Cry, our renderer, you know, we have a renderer who's putting together, well, I won't say what renders up right now <laughs> like all this stuff it costs money and you're just remember you're putting food on the table if you support us for just two dollars a month not even asking for a cup of coffee i'm asking for a can of tuna every month to support us and it really does go a long way and remember die shrinks a new one just came out looking at gpu and console economics another one just came out with like us getting really into the nitty-gritty of what we think about the state of hardware reviewing in 2024 there's hundreds of ad-free pieces of content out there if you join us. And after the shilling is done, I will say thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. And have a good week, everybody. Goodbye. This podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me. And I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Laws Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, it's not just me. Moore's Laws Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother Dan, 
Audio editing by Gerard Cortez. Renders being done by the industrial designer Jean-Philippe Clermont. And special assistance is also provided by Carmen Cry and Carrie Nosugad as well. Find all of our information at www.moreslawsdead.com on the about slash support page in the event you do want to hire me for consulting work, hire Gerard for audio work, hire Jean-Philippe for industrial design work, or you're interested in working with Carbon Cry or Carrie No Sugata as well. You can also find our long-term sponsors on that page if you want to show them some love for putting food on our tables. Or you can also mail us some love. You can send letters or hardware donations to the following address. Moore's Law is Dead, P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. Although, to be honest, the best way to show Moore's Law's Dead some love is to support us on Patreon. Patrons are what makes Moore's Law's Dead content truly possible. Every month and really every day, depending on who you're talking about, me, Gerard, Dan, and John Philippe are working tirelessly to provide a steady stream of content that we could not keep doing unless we knew the work was possible without being reliant on sponsors dictating every little thing we put out. Don't get us wrong. We love our sponsors, but we love directly working for you, our fans, much more. If you have any extra money, even a couple free dollars a month, consider supporting us directly on Patreon. Those couple of monthly dollars will get you access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to ask guests questions, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord full of like-minded people who I am sure would love to meet you. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to early, ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the ability to ask questions in all Broken Silicon episodes and loose ends live streams ahead of the recording, and the entire back catalog of Moore's Law Z podcasts, in addition to having thanks in the credits of videos and podcasts depending on the tier with other perks available as well. And hey... If you cannot afford to support us directly every month, please do share Moore's Law is Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family and on social media and websites like Reddit. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast app of choice. All of this does really help us so much. But like I said, this podcast would not be possible without it. the patrons directly providing predictable and reliable support every month. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher supported levels. Brad Medlin, Drita Foles, Z Jits, Daniel D, Aaron Close, Jen Rano, Daniel Hyde, GZ Ziggy, Brian Riggleman, MJB1, Deke, Nicholas Buckner, SNS Chalmers, Jim Ferriera, Valcom Alev, Jensen Wang, Hardforum.com, Gregory S. Acker, Andrew S., Sarcastro, Evan Dingle, Chris Rich, Compress Earthblocks, 3S, Boy 08, Albuma, Greg Wanchuk, Shredberg, Dr. Foreman, Benjamin Cannon, Jonathan, Holder Mobley, Blake, Franco Frederick, Sammy Malas, Jake223, Jake Martin, Jordan Simkovic, Slicky, Lillian Leak, Boss Haas, Stephen Hart, Meat and Pork, Tim Robb, Ian Clifford, Travis Gooding, Stefan, Toka, Mad, Zutsu Taylor, Stephen Coates, Michael McGee, Greg, Patrick Grove, Emmanuel Chief, Chrysantine, Tommy, Mark Mitchell, Aishad, Mark Raidmaker, The Eternal Dreamers, James Anderson, Cole Attic, Johnson N, Nithra Zink, Cameron, Wesley Sager, Henry Shang, Michelle Pell, D31337 Antics, Hexa Puma, Reginald Ari, Teak Autumn, Game and Since Reagan, Jeff Settler, Loophole 35, JSMMH, Winstar, James I Raider, Corey Leonard, Little Germany, Shea, Milton, Pulse Media, Jamie Witters, Dave Schultz, Melodic Warrior, Mac. Daffy, Stephen Dick, Chuck Glidden, Brett Jones, Austin Haggerty, Justin Bustle, I-711-700K, Joe Foot, Hardland, Earth Taurus, Slushball, Jason Angima, Joseph Kelly, Samuel Park, Kim Sagung, 
Tails2299, Miel Valverga, John Sisyphos, Dale Russell, The Forbidden Juice, Perleekman, Win Wing, RB Racer, AC, Michael Cozy, Dr. J Mad, Alex Vega, Free D, Brian Wright, John Swin, Angel of Cake, Joe LaMartina, Keekum, Albert Gunn, Solarize Eddie, Matthew Marlowe, Raisin Biscuit, Jeff Johnson, Penta Winta, Rowan McKicky, Cornster671, Sprutnik, Jeffrey Jenneman, and of course, thank you to Sahara for the music. 